When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. No, Frank Morano, this morning, it's yours truly, Curtis Lewa. As you know, if uh, unless you've been uh, in parts unknown, that approximately at Friday... 9, 11 p.m., Frank Morano's uh, beautiful wife, Rachel, delivered into this world young Carmine, their first child. I'm sure they're probably hoping to have other children. I don't know. I can't speak for them. Uh, but he was delivered in Richmond County Hospital. It was a combination, a Herculean effort by a midwife on loan from nearby Mount Laredo, one of the older nuns, one of the few who are still there, uh, and an OBGNY, I have yet to know what that acronym stands for, but a nurse ratchet. And it took uh, both of them all the power that they could put together to deliver Carmine. It was not a C-section, natural birth. Poor Rachel, she's going to have to recover a month of Sundays from that. Uh, but they are now in const in a bubble. Because as you know, not only with the coronavirus, uh, the problem is if you're in a hospital setting, as Rachel is now, you could be exposed to the variant or even the common flu uh, as we start to work our way into a flu season. Uh, sometimes you can get sicker in a hospital then when you go to a hospital, they get cured of your sickness. Uh, you've heard doctors say many times, get the hell out of here as soon as you can, because you might end up leaving here sicker than you came here. And it is true. As an expert, I've been hospitalized, as you know, many, many times throughout my life. And I'm lucky to be alive. So apparently he is bubble boy. He is in a bubble. It's in case there in Richmond County Hospital, there is uh, Rachel, his wife who needs to recover from that enormous task of bringing into the world a 13-pound young man now named Carmine. Uh, and uh, he, cannot, he cannot call us because his wife needs the rest, baby Carmine needs the rest, uh, standing in the wings, still that nun on loan from Mount Laredo should, uh, should she be necessary as the midwife. The OBGNY has been told never to return again. She's like a nurse ratchet character. I can at least convey to you that information. And Frank Morano has been seen on the corners of Highland and uh, Seaview, uh, the most populated corner in terms of not only pedestrian traffic but vehicular traffic, and on Victory Boulevard and also Forest uh, Avenue, giving out to Denobola crooked uh, Italian stinker cigars in celebration of the birth of his brand-new son. But what I want to be able to do, since he's listening intently, and he can't talk, he can only listen, is to convey to him what's in store for him now as a father. 
Because let's face it, he hasn't had the experience. I've had three boys. My oldest son, Anthony, uh, my middle son, Carter, and my youngest son, Hunter, who I just spent the night with uh, last night, the night before the start of Hanukkah, with Hunter. He had a big chunk of chocolate cake at a diner. I asked for lemon meringue pie, right? They told me there's a shortage of lemon meringue pie. Meringue, it's like it can't be destroyed. A nuclear power plant would be destroyed first before the meringue on top of the lemon pie. And they told me that there's a shortage of of lemon meringue pie. So I stood there and I was talking with my son and I'm saying to myself, what kind of advice would I convey to Frank Morano? You know, he's a bit of a slug at times. You know, he's a happy-go-lucky kind of a guy, a know-it-all kind of a guy. But not one necessarily to accept advice. So I want to open up our phone lines. I want to take advantage of the opportunity that Frank will be listening and taking all the possible advice that we can give him and the salutations and greetings that I know a lot of you want to convey to him directly on the birth of his first child, Carmine, 13 healthy pounds. That's a big boy. I mean, I was 11 pounds when I came into this world. At Brooklyn Hospital on March 26, 1954, Dr. Duckman delivered me. Any of uh, you happen to know the story of not only Dr. Duckman, but his son, who is a judge. You can feel free to convey that to all of us at 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. You'll win a Curtis Sliwa booby prize. Don't ask, because I won't tell you how cheap I am throwing nickels around like manhole covers, but you get recognition and attention if you happen to know who Dr. Duckman was at Brooklyn Hospital and why it was important because he had birthed the infamous Judge Duckman who made a decision that, in fact, involved an animal and a couple. See, that's a little hint, a little hint. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But also, if you would like to uh, convey salutations and greetings to Frank Morano and uh, advice in terms of how to be a brand new father experiencing probably the most euphoric experience that he's had in his entire life of what we were told is 35 years by a caller who snitched him out the other night. Although, if you look at his Facebook page, he has his high school graduation photo up there from Tottenville, a purple pirate. My God, he just doesn't want anybody to know his age, but he's been ratted out. And I think it's incumbent upon you as uh, tried-and-true listeners of Frank that we convey some advice, some suggestions. Uh, I certainly have my own because uh, I'm a father, not the best of fathers. But enough, I've had enough experience that I can convey to him what to avoid, the problems, the pitfalls, but also how to experience the joy of having a child and the agony sometimes of having your heart broken by that same child who will soon, before you know it, be a teenager, be rebellious, and be challenging the authority of his mother and his father and the household that is provided to him by his parents. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Al calling from New York. Uh, Your advice for Frank Morano, Al? Curtis, I've been advising him since August. In August, I knew that baby was going to be born on November 26th. 
I didn't want to say that. I've been right with uh, family members and workers. So you know what? I was for some reason on a contest. It's called a thousand dollar contest. Hmm. So on uh, October 26th, he had me on. He asked me a question. I know one thing led to the other, and it was like a honeymooners episode. What was uh, what was Rachel's uh, name? You know, what's my wife's name? It was the sixth question. And guess what? I couldn't say it for anything. I knew it was Rachel. I knew, knew, knew. I said Rebecca. But in between, something overwhelmed me. I said, you know what? I got to tell him what I've been thinking all along. I say, listen, that baby is going to be born early, and it's going to be on Thanksgiving. He goes, you may be right about that, but you're wrong with this question. Ended up losing that. But if you find it on the queue there, it's ten twenty-six thousand dollar question. It was at the one ninety mark, you know. But here's my advice for him. Uh, first of all, that nun, uh, he should have just stood with uh, the OBGYN. That nun, she wears welding glasses. He's got a Harley. Uh, and that back of that orphanage, she was always cheating at cards. She had a curfew. You come in late, you'll get the yardstick. So no good with that. Uh, he, you know, the books he bought, he bought the Dr. Spock book, the owner's manual. But I think it was the other one for Star Trek. But let's face it, he's going to be the best dad. You know, he, like you, are a man of character. And uh, you listen to him. He's been able to give advice all the time. And uh, he's got Rachel. You know, him and Rachel, they went into the wrong place in the Hamptons. And Rachel forgave him for that. So you knew that it was going to work out, you know? Well, uh, I want to question you, though, about you suggested that maybe Frank was a bit of a welcher. Uh, you you came up no, with all kinds. Of... He's promised me many hats. And I do know that they have a new postmaster general. And they did raise a stamp 58 cents. And we are finding hundreds of packages out in the, the ravines places. Frank has been nothing but a gentleman. I followed him since uh, AM 970. And I'm going to tell you, between Katz, uh, Mr. Katz, and you, who've been there for 35 years, I followed you with Kubi. I've met Mr. Kubi. I've met you. You met my dad once or twice in Flushing. Uh, you guys have passion, all right? That's why he's been doing it since he was 15. And you've been doing your thing since you were up in the Bronx there, Okay. And people can, I saw you at Katya Shuni, you're right next to me in the back row there, and you had your way there, you look real sharp. Okay, uh, let me tell you this, you're doing your thing, he's doing his thing, he loved Franklin, he loved uh, Mr. Grant, and guess what, the, part of it is assimilating his show, you can actually hear it in his voice sometimes, the way he structures certain things. You know, he, he actually channels you know, like a... You're, you're, you're extraordinarily cogent, Al. In terms of your observation about the life and times, the education of Frank Morano, you have followed him a great deal. If there is one piece of advice that you can offer him about being a father to young Carmine at 13, my advice... Two years, two years from now, when he's a toddler, and for some reason Rachel's uh, visiting the relatives on the island, and Frank's taking care of him, if he sneaks down to A.C., he's got it where the bathrobe is, right? He's got a one, he's got bourbon in the other... On the top there, he's got to have a little space for a little Carmine to hold the dice when he comes out. Bet him high, bet him yo, yo 11. Yeah, Frank's oh, the best. Okay. You're the best, and you're running. I, I'm going to tell you, I don't know how you stay up day after day. I just got to give you a little bit of advice with the, and I'm sure you notice, when you have hot beverages and lemon and honey, all good, half the honeys out there are fake. They put uh, every kind of crap in there. You got to go to Consumer Reports. They'll tell you which one to actually have honey. Because when you turn it around and it drips real quick right off the bat, that's junk. You need something really, the real deal, and they have them. They're living more expensive. Well, uh, I will tell you this, though. And there is. Uh, don't have anything hot because hot beverages, this sounds stupid, but it's true, can change the lining of your throat and can cause cancer. 
and I'm a cancer survivor, and I knew you are. You've been, like you said, nine lives. I've had the same thing. So remember that with that throat. Uh, Coat it nice, but not too hot. Well, I'll tell you, uh, there's a problem. Many of our observant Jewish listeners are upset. There is a shortage of honey, a main staple during the eight days of Hanukkah. I mean, we're going to go in the next hour through all the different shortages that exist. But honey, not enough bees, not enough beeswax. Al was very cogent in his advice to Frank Morano. I know he's listening. I hope he's taking notes. But uh, Al was spot on. Now, I thought he was implying that Frank was a bit of a welcher, you know, on that $1,000 uh, bid. I think Al is giving uh, Frank the benefit of the doubt. Sounded to me like he was a welcher. Anyway, let's go to uh, Virginia, who's calling from New Rochelle. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Virginia. Hey, Curtis, I just want to say congratulations to Frank and his wife on that beautiful big baby boy. But I also wanted to tell you that OBGYN, not GNY, stands for Obstetrics Gynecology. Now, you realize uh, it's multisyllabic words. Uh, <laughs> very difficult for me uh, to be able to pronounce, uh, but you mean I was... Uh, Using the incorrect acronym? Yes, sir. You I, Because in New York, you put O-B-G-N-Y, it's O-B-G-Y-N for gynecology. Wow, no wonder why people didn't know what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> but now you know. Well, thank you for the constructive criticism. Uh, Virginia, I am going to suggest uh, at least one, one piece of advice for Frank Morano. Uh, as we go to Joseph, who's calling from Queens, uh, welcome to what is normally the Frank Morano show, The Other Side of Midnight, Joe. Yeah. Hey, how you doing, Curtis? Good to hear from you again. Uh, my salutations to Frank and say, Frank, that's a big baby boy, 13 pounds. Wow. Hey, stop raising up to be a defensive end for the New York Jets. We need They need some defensive players out there, maybe an offensive lineman. What do you think? Well, yeah, the old sack exchange, remember, of the Jets, Marty Lyons, uh, quite a yeah. few of them. So, sounds, sounds like a plan. It def definitely yeah, does. Big, big baby, man. Big 13 pounds. Yeah. Man. I know. I don't, want, I don't want him to be like the crazy guy from Oklahoma uh, who was not only popping pills, but he was uh, – he ended up with so many different femme fatales. In fact, Joseph, I'm going to give my number out here. Don't don't hang up. I'm going to give my number out here, 1-800-848-9222. What is the one defensive lineman of the old sack exchange of the New York Jets that we would oh, not well. want Carmine to imitate? 1-800-848-WABC. In fact, he used to do this sack, sack exchange dance out there on the field every time uh, he would corral the quarterback. But, Joseph, I'm going to offer a piece of advice to Frank right now because he is the father, proud father, of 13-pound Carmine. He better wear a jock strap when he picks him up. You That's know? terrible. Yeah. It, <laughs> well, he'll get a double hernia or something like yes, that? Yes, yes. <laughs> Now, that's right. You know, um, playing sports, especially football, you had to wear the jock strap with the cup. 
Very important. Or you might be singing soprano the rest of your life. About concussions. Yeah. About those. Yeah, but I think huh? in this case, when he lifts up, because, you know, little Carmine eventually is going to be reaching up to his daddy. He wants Frank to pick him up. He better have on that jock strap or he will suffer a double hernia. That kid's, that kid's a big bruiser. Yeah, man, tell me about it, bro. That's a big kid. Soon he'll be picking up the father. <laughs> That's right. Maybe like Charles Atlas. That kid ain't going to have sand kicked in his face. You know that in South Beach. No way. There is this one individual. Man, he had a crazy life. A real crazy life. In fact, his wife, this is another hint, if you want to win the Curtis Lee Booby Prize, was actually dating a friend. Well, not a friend of Frank Morano. He was a friend of his son, John Gotti Jr., John Gotti Sr., and her first name was Lisa. See, I'm giving you all these hints. Anyway, let's go to George, who's calling from the Irish Riviera, Pearl River, on the Hudson in Rockland County. Do you have the answer to the question? To the Jet question? Yeah, yeah. Mark Gastino. Yes. Yes. Now, you talk about what a great player coming out of the state of Oklahoma. All the sacks of the quarterback, he'd do a sack exchange dance. That was pretty funny. That was, you know, back then it was pretty funny. You know, he had some chutzpah, you know, he got the crowd going. You know, that was good, but a lot of, a lot of teams didn't like that, obviously. No, no, I, I, I liked his performance, unfortunately, off the field. He was a hot mess. Uh, you you know, know, he was popping pills. He's recovered from that. Uh, he was also a boxer. That's true. Not a very good one, I might add. Uh, hey, let me tell you something, Curtis. You know what? When you were running, I, I'm not a big media guy. The Facebook, all those things you did, that that was awesome. I can't believe you didn't win. Well, I'm not surprised. It's all BS, but that was awesome, all those clips you put on. I, I love watching that stuff like that. Oh, we're going to be ramping it up, but I want to ask another question. Mark Gastonow, one of the greatest defensive linemen of all time. What other femme fatale was he hooked up with? I mentioned his wife, Lisa Gastonow, and then hooked up with John Gotti Sr. But what was the other femme fatale that he hooked up with? Let me give you a little uh, hint. Who had also been hooked up with uh, Rocky Stallone. You'll get a Curtis Lee with Booby Prize. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Kenny in Lancaster, California. How are you listening to this broadcast, Kenny? Uh, through uh, uh, online. Oh, great. All the way from Lancaster, California. And you're listening to it on the stream, right, online? Yes. A lot of people can listen to it on the stream, and they do. The numbers on the stream for WABC ever since Frank Morano took over the other side of midnight have just skyrocketed. Well, it was a pretty good show last night. With There was, I don't know, eight or ten people on pre-Christmas party show or something. Yep. But it was, it was really good. But I don't have the answer to your question. No, no, that's fine. But you have some advice for Frank Morano as the... Uh... Yes, I, yes, I do. First of all, you're getting another blind guy. You were talking about cat, cats and blind people or whatever. And Helen Keller. Helen Keller. And, and yes, and Helen Keller. And 
um, but um, what I wanted to suggest is before Frank leaves the hospital with his wife and their child, he should the night before take take a a nice dinner that he and his wife can share together and a bottle of wine and and have the, those those things because they call it the last supper and the last supper is the till the kid gets to be in his teenage years or whatever just about the time you sit down to have dinner or whatever you're going to have to attend to the baby well, and you'll get interrupted in your in your evening meal that, now that's plate. true but i i was actually going to uh, donate my services I was going to go down to Bay Street in the North Shore of Staten Island, hit the White Castles, get them a bu- uh, a bag of belly busters there. It's right there on Bay Street. And then uh, get a bottle of uh, Muscatel so that he and Rachel can have a nice dinner of White Castle. Hey, if he wants uh, plain burgers, cheeseburgers, the onion rings, you know, whatever. You know, I'm not a big spender. I got a budget to work with. That's why it's got to be White Castles. And I'm sure that they'll enjoy Muscatel. 1-800-848-9222. If you have advice for the new father, Frank Morano, who's busting his buttons in Bridges with Pride. This is as good as it's going to get. The birth of the son goes downhill from here. Especially when he gets to be 17 like my son Anthony and he's asking me for a brand new Dodge Charger. Brand new! Let me tell you, Frank Morano is definitely in for a life change. That's why I constantly hear him on the other side of midnight talk about his favorite tea, life change tea. And um, look, life change tea is something that actually does something for you other than you just sitting down and enjoying it. That's why you go to getthetea.com. That's lifechangetea at getthetea.com. And it's going to make you feel good. But more importantly, it's going to give you that urge to move internally with a daily cleanse that tastes great and works to get things uh, sort of to the point where you can scrape the barnacles off the backside of your innards and just move that posse along. Look, you have all kinds of problems with your digestive tract just compare it to mine. Remember, I got shot with five hollow-point bullets, right? And they had to rearrange all my plumbing and my intestines. So I, I must acknowledge that I've never had life-changed tea. But Frank Morano swears by it. He says, look, you're not going to feel bloated because that's never a good thing. I can tell you that, having had colitis, ileitis, and chronic Crohn's disease. Life-changed tea is an all-natural and non-GMO. One package will last a whole month. Life Change Tea is only available by logging on to this website, getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. Use the promo code FRANK for shipping. And the promo code FRANK, well, uh, what kind of shipping do you get? Will Frank pay for the shipping? Of course not. He'll welch on that. It's time to feel relief while you're there. Check out all their products designed for your optimum health. Don't miss out. Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. The tea that makes you go, 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 go. 
Hate that song. Really hate that song. Although I realize you're trying to sort of merge it into the animal welfare discussion that we had in the last hour with my wife, Nancy, who's probably now either sneezing from her many allergies or snoring so hard she's causing the paint literally to creep and crawl off the wall. But anyway, back to Frank. We had asked the question of the sack exchange dance that was done by Gastonow, who set an all-time record for sacking the quarterback, although he had all kinds of mama drama problems on the outside. He was a hot mess with drugs and femme fatales. Who was the other lady that he was hooked up with? Another another clue. She was on one of those uh, shows with Flavor Flav. That's right, a public enemy with that stupid clock around his neck. I used to want to take that clock and strangle him. Let's go to uh, uh, Mike, who's calling from Manhattan. You know the answer uh, of what I'm teasing um, you with? Brigitte Nielsen. Nielsen. That's right. You win the Curtis Sleeper Poopy Prize. She also had a small role as uh, the wife of the uh, Russian boxer in uh, Rocky IV. Dolph Lundgren. That's right. What was what was his name? His character name in Rocky Four? Uh, that one I can't give you off the top. Drago. Was, the, was it Drago, Drago or Drago? Drago? Yeah, Drago. Now, who Drago, were Russian, who were the two announcers in Rocky Four sitting ringside giving you the blow by blow description? I'll go with Howard Cosell. No, you couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. The guy with the bad okay. rug did not appear on that one. How about Sugarman? No, no, not Sugarman, uh, a boxing illustrator. No, it was the great Warner Wolf. And I will ask all of you, he was a recent guest on the Frankie Russo Show, who was sitting side by side with Warner Wolf announcing the fight between the Russian Drago and Rocky Balboa. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. That's one 800 848 Nine two two two. Let's go to Larry in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Larry. Yeah, Kurt. I was just wondering: Did uh, Frankie uh, name his kid after Carmine Persico, who recently died in jail? <laughs> uh, I never heard of a Carmine that wasn't a gangster. You know? Did you ever hear of a guy named Carmine that wasn't a gangster? It sounds like he should be from Howard Beach or something. You're right. Uh, Frank Persico uh, was in Butler, North Carolina. Well, I think Bernie Madoff, he was like uh, his bodyguard. You know, Bernie needed a bodyguard. That's also the federal prison in North Carolina where Teuton Tony Seminario uh, passed away. Boy, that's bringing back memories. You know, Carmine Persico, who swore in court that he was only in the import and export business. He imported olive oil from Italy, and he exported dead bodies to Italy. I got to ask him that. Well, eventually when he surfaces... Did in fact he and Rachel name their baby the thirteen pounder? That that right. that's a big baby. He could be a bodyguard for you know for them, you know. And especially growing up on Staten Island and Annandale or Eltingville or Bullshead, I mean he'll be right in to one family of organized crime. There's no doubt about it. 
Could be the Gambinos. That's uh, Frank's preferred family. The Genovese, Lucchese's, Columbo's, Bananos. Listen, the feds may have the hospital wiretapped right now, for all you know, with that guy, uh, uh, Garland, Merrick Garland, you know? That's right. <laughs> That's right. The attorney general may have Richmond County Hospital, the room that they're in, wired up like a Christmas tree. I mean, he's going after airline. He's going after rowdy airline passengers. So, you know, you got to think maybe he's going after like 13-pound babies also. Could be. Could be, especially when you name your kid Carmine. That's a brilliant observation by Larry in Brooklyn. As we try to give advice to the brand-new father busting his buttons and bridges with pride, Frank Morano, uh, I did ask a trivia question about who is sitting side-by-side side with the great Warner Wolf announcing the fight in Rocky Four between Rocky Balboa, Stallone, and Drago, Drago, whatever the hell his name is, the big Russian guy. Let's go to Jacqueline in Brooklyn, who seems to know the answer uh, to that. Jacqueline? Yes, Curtis, I do. Good morning. It's Al Bandiero. Yes, yes, yes. And in fact, that was uh, one of the highlights of the Frankie Russo show. I actually complimented him that morning when I called up to say that was a brilliant interview with one of the greatest voices on FM radio. The time the KTU started in 1979 when I started the Guardian Angels and they rocked the world with disco. 40% listenership. 40% of the people listening to FM radio were listening to Al Bandiero and the other jocks there when KTU introduced disco to the airwaves. As I was in my formative teenage years. Yes, and I'll bet you you were styling and profiling on that dance floor, weren't you? Yes, I was. What were the clubs that you went to, Jacqueline? Oh, there was Pastels in Bay Ridge, of course. Yes. Uh, well, the rock clubs. Um, that was, oh, wow, I can't think of the name of it now. No, it's all right. Look, there's so many clubs, uh, uh, so many uh, guys coming in. Remember, with the uh, platform shoes, we call them the marshmallow shoes, the, mm-hmm. uh, the polyester waffle wee flame retardant shirts, and, of course, the bell-bottom pants, right? Yep, exactly. And these guys, you know, I noticed some of them, they felt they had to have hairy chests, so they would actually take hair, and with crazy glue, they would put it on their chest with the big cornu. You know, the Italian horn or the multiple crosses, you know, on the gold chain. And don't forget the Christ head with the diamond encrusted crown. Oh, yes. There is no doubt about that. And I could never understand the purpose of the polyester waffle weave flame retardant shirt since you're sweating like you're in a schwitz, you're dancing. And, you know, a cotton shirt would absorb it. Polyester, it just flew the spit all over the place. But it was black, so you couldn't see the perspiration. That's true, but nowadays with COVID-19, oh my God, you'd have to clear off the dance floor, they'd quarantine you, they'd be taking the swizzle sticks, shoving it up your nose, and the next thing you know, you'd be saying, I hope I don't have that new South African variant. Excellent, excellent, Jacqueline. You earned the Curtis Sliwa booby prize, don't ask, don't tell. I throw nickels around like uh, manhole covers. Not like Frank Morano, who's a welcher, I might add. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Our advice to Frank Morano, the brand-new father, busting his buttons and bridges with so much pride, as you always do when you're first is born, and then it goes all downhill afterwards. 1-800-848-WABC. Oh, you're not going to want to miss it.
The 2 o'clock hour, we'll be talking about all the supply problems that are plaguing the world economy, and especially for all of us here in America. They're mounting a mile a minute. Then we have to uh, talk about the education of Frankie Russo, who does the other side of midnight to two nights. If Frank Morano is off, he's part of the JV squad, whereas Frank Morano is uh, part of the varsity. But right now we're fielding calls here in which we're trying to help Frank Morano. Because as the uh, uh, new uh, parent of Carmine, the 13-year-old child that his lovely wife Rachel uh, brought into the world at 9-11 on Friday night, why she didn't hold on, maybe another minute or two, why 9-11? I mean, shush. But it was a Herculean task performed by a nun on loan from Mount Laredo. She was about uh, 92 years old, and yet she was up for the task of being a midwife, as she had for so many other Italian women, although I don't believe Rachel was Italian. Uh, certainly not with a name like Rachel, that's for sure. Uh, but she uh, was there. Uh, she was accompanied by an OBGNY. I think I'm uh, pronouncing the ac- uh, acronym incorrectly, but it's my right to botulize the English language. Remember, I use spoonerisms. And um, all kinds of uh, phraseology uh, that is that is part of a language that I've created. You know, like you had Ebonics, there's Sliwonics. So look, uh, I got some constructive criticism earlier for mispronouncing the acronym OBGNY, tough nuggies. You know what I'm talking about. It was Nurse Ratchet. And they struggled in delivering by natural birth. It was not a cesarean, natural birth. Boy, that was... Wow, quite the task of Rachel. <sighs> Can you imagine what that was like? Actually, Frank was nowhere near the circumstance. Calamity Frank would have definitely interfered with the process. They brought Carmine into the world in a huge bathtub. They had to. It's 13 pounds. And right now, the OBGNY is uh, persona non grata because uh, she had an attitude. Uh, the 92-year-old nun from Mount Laredo is still there, uh, hanging on as the midwife. Rachel is recovering, as you would have to if you delivered a 13-pound baby. I know my mother, Francesca, was 5'4", like 120 pounds, and she had me at 11 pounds at Brookville, and it took her a long period of time, natural birth, to recover. Uh, and Frank is there. They're in a bubble. They're at Richmond County Hospital because, as you know, with COVID-19, coronavirus, all the variants now, the new one from South Africa, people are being very careful because, uh, as you know, it often has been said and proven that you could be sick and you go into the hospital and you get sicker by being in the hospital. And now with coronavirus, oh, boy, that could be double trouble. So Frank is listening intently to the advice that you're giving. Except he can't talk because he can't wake up. Young uh, 13-year-old son of his, Carmine. can imagine when that kid starts crying. Oh, the lungs on that kid. And Rachel, who definitely needs to relax, Max, and relax and sleep. Anyway, let's go to Johnny in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Johnny. It's John. It's good to see you. speak to you again, Curtis. And I, I, I just want to say that before I praise Frank, I was on the call yesterday with that JV punk you're going to be talking about in two hours. I put him in his place. Oh, thank you. I, I told him to leave you and my buddy Frank Morano alone. 
I spent six minutes, almost seven minutes, insulting him, and he almost couldn't get a word in. I was being very polite, very calm, but I basically told him he's the weakest link on this great radio station. Wow. The weakest link. Link. Wow, that's about as low as you can go. Absolutely. Well, now, John, uh, uh, when you listen in the 2 o'clock hour, uh, we actually have uh, purloined uh, your diatribe against uh, Frankie Russo. <laughs> we will be playing it back for the masses out there so they can uh, they can uh, actually uh, see how diplomatically you tried to handle it at first, but naturally the kid wasn't going to listen. You know, he's a real Weisenheimer. Right. And, and then you put him in his place. Yes. It, it was and, really and, good. It was really good. And anyway, two things. Uh, I believe Carmine is named after Frank's father. Hmm. And I know you're joking about how uh, heavy Carmine weighed the baby, 13 pounds, but I think it was about 6.2. Nah, I saw the picture. Yeah. The picture doesn't lie. <laughs> you know, look, you look at the picture. They posted the picture of young Carmine. That's That's a 13-pound kid. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, they have they have a scale. I don't know if you know, in pediatrics units, they have a scale. Mm-hmm. The maximum weight that the scale can tolerate is 12 pounds. I know that because I was 11 pounds born at Brooklyn Hospital in 1954. He tipped the scale that only goes up to 12 pounds. So, okay, I'll give you maybe a few ounces, but he's around 13 pounds. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it, Johnny. Well, whatever. I mean, I only, I only know from what... I saw from Rachel's uh, social media page. Yeah, and but you know they Photoshop those photos. No, you know no. they do that with I baby photos now. Yeah, <laughs> they really do. Anyway, here's my advice: uh, if Carmine is seriously interested about something, whether it's hockey or chess, or in my case, when I was growing up, it was paleontology, collecting fossils. I would encourage. Uh, Frank to be very very supportive of him, and 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 let Carmine flourish now and you, do what he can to help him. You know, you know you know Johnny. If you listen to Frank long enough on the other side of midnight, he does a weekly update from Atlantic City because Frank <laughs> is a degenerate gambler. Uh, there's no doubt about it. He he cannot pass by a dice game, a, a game of CeeLo, mahjong, you name it. Uh, he, he should have been born an Asian because he loves all the Asian games of chance. He always is a loser. The one thing I would, uh, I'm going to have a conversation with Frank is please do not pass on the genetics of you being a degenerate gambler to your young son, Carmine. <laughs> I'm sure he'll listen. Well, but, but you, you know how Frank is. Look, <laughs> you know in Staten Island, they're going to look at that kid, right? Let's say he goes to St. Joseph by the Sea or Monsignor Farrell, or he goes to Curtis High School named after me on the North Shore, or Tottenville like his daddy did. Or Staten Island and Tech. That's right. Maybe. Oh, and he's a brainiac. He's a brainiac. Well, guess what? When I first met you back in 2003... It was at the Williamsburg Centennial Celebration, hmm. and I told you where I went to high school, and you called me a brainiac. So Yeah, because, you know, I always ask people where they went to high school, 
And people want to know, why do you want to know where somebody went to high school? Because it tells me a great deal about who they are, their character, their growth development. And I certainly can't ask them about what college they went to or graduated because I never went to college. So what would I know about college, right? Right. But guess what? You may not have gone, gone to college, but you earned a degree in the College of Hard Knocks. You know more about politics. You know more about life. You know more about the city than that JV punk. Yeah. And it's to your everlasting credit. You know what? I think, uh, I think I want to have to take him under my wing, my only wing that isn't broken at this point. And I'm I wouldn't waste my time because I think the man is a foolish idiot. Uh, I think Frankie Reese, uh, Russo, he needs seasoning. He really needs seasoning because he's come into this. I made the mistake. I, I, I must confess, John, that uh, I invited him into the studio when I was doing 12 to 3, remember, Monday through Fridays, which was prime time here. Mm-hmm. And I spent an hour of time introducing him to my massive audience. And, you know, he he looked at he, – he was grateful at the moment. He was like a little puppy dog, you know. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you. And he's been disparaging ever since. And I think what it is is he lacks esteem. He has low self-esteem. So he tries too hard. You understand, John? Right. It's like a lot of politicians. They lack self-esteem. Talk radio show hosts and hostesses, actors, actresses, they lack self-esteem, so they try a little harder than they really should. I think I'll just smack them around a little bit, pimp slap them around, and we'll get them back into shape. I promise you, Johnny. We'll see. All right, appreciate okay. it. Appreciate it's, always, it's always a pleasure talking And by the way, you. what high school did you go to, Johnny? Stuyvesant High School. Uh, the old one, right, on 13th? Uh, no, I mean, on, on 15th? 15th Street, yes. My God, a real brainiac. You know who else went to uh, Stuyvesant uh, High School there? You remember your fellow alumni there, the brainiacs that you went to school with? I do. A number of them. Oh, who so. were they? Who were they? Who were they? God, let, me, let me tear them apart. Well, I will mention one woman who was the captain of our volleyball team. Captain of the volleyball team. I had not seen her for many years. Hmm. Then suddenly in 1996, she made it in the news. The reason why is because she was an attorney working for Ken Starr who was assigned to depose one Monica Lewinsky. Ah. And I will not forgive the Clintons for what they did to her. Luckily, many years later, she... Moved out west, and she's uh, now a federal judge in uh, one of the northwest cities. I won't say which one. So, ah, so you see, you're playing a little trivia with us. What femme fatale who went to Stuyvesant High School? Not the new one on the West Side Highway near the World Trade Center, but the old one on Fifteenth Street. Uh, went on to become a federal judge. One eight hundred eight four eight. Nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Oh yeah, churn and burn, twist and shout. No, that's Chubby Checker. By the way, what city uh, produced Chubby Checker? A little bit of trivia there. Not far from Kenosha that we've been talking about, or Walkersaw. In Wisconsin, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 
I made a commitment to visit that White Castle on Bay Street on the North Shore of Staten Island, get a bag of belly busters and a bottle of Muscatel and bring it uh, to the recovering Rachel uh, in her uh, room there at Richmond County Hospital with uh, Frank Morano, who probably eat most of the belly sliders, and probably Carmine at 13 pounds, who will take the bag away from both of them and down it, you know, with one <gasps> inhale. Anyway, let's go to uh, Vincenz, who's been holding on the line in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Vincenz. Hey, Curtis. I want to say good advice or great advice for Frank Morano and his family is your relationship as an example with your wife. You have a very beautiful relationship with your wife. You uh, give each other space. You allow each other to be who you are. You're lighthearted together, and you're probably uh, kooky and have your uh, quirks together, but did you're, you say, allowing uh, other, you're allowing each other to be. Did you say uh, uh, kinky? Quirks. <laughs> oh, quirky. Kinky is up to you, too. Quirk. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, Vincenzo, uh, he violated the rules and regulations of Richmond County High School, Vincenzo. Richmond County High School, <laughs> Richmond County Hospital. Uh, Frank Morano was in the bubble encased with his wife, Rachel, and his young son, Carmine. You were told you're not to make calls and disturb the beauty rest for Rachel and the snoring of your 13-pound uh, brand-new son, Frank. Well, first of all, Curtis, one of the many misstatements that you've made in the last 20 seconds is that there is no Richmond County Hospital. It's Richmond University, Richmond University Medical Center, Rumsey, you, uh, which is a hospital you've been to. It's one of many hospitals that has probably treated you for gunshot or uh, stabbing wounds over the years. Richmond University Medical Center, Rumsey, great hospital. And number two is, again, I'm amazed that there are still this many people that take what you say on the radio seriously, but it's it, the baby is not 13 pounds. Andre the Giant was 13 pounds when he was born. Young Carmine was six pounds and two ounces. So the, the, that's the size of more than two Carmine William Moranos would be the baby weight that you have ascribed. I, I think at one point you, had, you claimed he was born... 12 hours before he was actually born. I think you claimed at one point he was female, and at least for now, he's male. Uh, you never know nowadays, uh, Frank. I heard That's your true. recent show about transgenders. Uh, That's right. That's you right. never, never know, Frank. By the way, That's uh, right. um, isn't that the I appreciate all the advice from everybody that's calling in, especially uh, uh, John from Brooklyn who just called in. Some great advice there. I was uh, writing down every word. Now, uh, Frank, are uh, you sure you're not at the old uh, spot, the Seabue Hospital there? Yes, yes. That has been, not been a hospital for many years. You're kidding. That's right. That's right. I could have swore there are three hospitals, Staten Island University Hospital, Richmond County Hospital, and Seabue Hospital. Uh, right. Again, there's no Richmond County Hospital. It's Richmond University Medical Center. My on my. It must be the fact that I'm on the other side of midnight, you know. That's right. That's right. Well, you sound great, actually. I mean, putting aside all the inaccurate things you're saying, as far as just quality of sound of the show that you're doing, 
you know, sounding terrific. Well, thank you, Matt. By the way, let's give an update on the person who is responsible for doing the heavy lifting here. All you did was put a donation in the Petri dish long ago. How is Rachel, Rachel doing? Uh, she's doing great. She's uh, she's feeding young Carmine right now. She's doing well. Uh, I You know, I said people have asked me, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? And I, the answer is largely dependent upon when Rachel gets annoyed with me. So given the, the eye rolls that I've been getting uh, increasingly over the course of the last 12 hours, I would say the answer is probably sooner rather than later. But, uh, but uh, she's, uh, she's doing great, and uh, everything, uh, everything is good. I think uh, she could probably do with a, a few less visitors, including the surprise pop-in visitors, which uh, a day after giving birth, you know, is never first on any mother's list of, uh, of, of things that you enjoy. But uh, she's, doing, she's doing great. She seems to be in good shape physically and, uh, and mentally. Probably could use a little more sleep, but I hear that goes with the territory. I understand that young Carmine is already wearing headphones, listening to talk radio, trying to follow in the footsteps of his father. That's right. Yeah, no, he's already a uh, he's listening to all sorts of uh, of talk radio programs. Again, for some reason, whenever he hears your voice, he starts spitting up. I don't know what it is, uh, but uh, clearly. He has an unusual reaction whenever, whenever, whenever he hears you. That's him, actually. That is him. You were spotted earlier today on the corner of Highland and Seaview with a box right. of Denobili cigars, handing out the Italian crooked stinkers to anybody, including homeless guys who were there, you know, hoping to get some uh, free coffee from the Seven Eleven. Why were you doing that? I mean, why that kind of a public display? But it's a tradition. It's a tradition, Curtis. So uh, we had to herald the the coming of Carmine with uh, with a traditional celebration. And in this case, it involved the distribution of multitudes of uh, Denobola cigars. Now, uh, you heard one of the callers from Brooklyn who suggested that you chose the name Carmine of the many male names you could have chosen because you wanted to honor the dearly departed Carmine Persico, who was represented by your friend and my friend, uh, Matthew Mary. You know, it's funny. I heard from Matthew Mary, and he was asking whether it was uh, he was named for Carmine Persico or Carmine Galanti, who, of course, was the head of the Bonanno crime family. I heard from uh, Joe Ganascoli uh, from The Sopranos and from uh, Tom from California, who suggested that maybe this was my attempt to rehabilitate uh, posthumously Carmine DiSapio. Uh, but none of those are actually true. In uh, and our, our family, there's a long tradition of uh, of Carmines and Franks. Usually, the the firstborn son of Carmine is named Frank, and the firstborn son of uh, Frank is named Carmine. So uh, he's named most immediately after my father, Carmine, but indirectly after the um, the the first Morano born in America. Carmine Morano, who uh, most people called Charlie, but his game, given name was Carmine. I don't understand this, Frank. You are the ultimate contrarian. Uh, That's right. You always do things that are not expected. Why did you fall lockstep into this situation? Because I know it wasn't the choice of Rachel. She probably wanted another name for a male baby if, in fact, it turned out to be male. Why, being such a contrarian, did you decide to just follow in the tradition of your family? Yeah, well, again, my initial uh, my initial choice for a name was uh, John Katsimatidis Morano, 
But uh, when you saw him, he looks the baby looks much more like a Carmine William than a John Katsimatidis. And his middle name, William, that's for uh, Rachel's father. Uh, so we thought it was a good way to pay tribute to, to both of his grandfathers. Now, if what I understand is true, your wife was raised Jewish, correct? No, she was actually raised uh, evangelical Christian. And never was Jewish? Uh, no, her her she's uh, her maiden name was O'Brien, but her mother's maiden name was uh, Brookman. And even though her mom was evangelical Christian, her mom has a Jewish background. Well, now, how about if I just make her Jewish because of her first name, Rachel, and then you realize if the mother actually were Jewish, that would mean Carmine is Jewish. But that's right. No, I mean, if... Uh, if there's ever a if there's ever a Fourth Reich, God forbid, this kid will be in, in jeopardy. In fact, you know, when they were keeping us at the hospital on Saturday, waiting for the doctor to perform his circumcision, we kept him kept him there six seven hours later. I said, if we wait any longer, I think we might be better off just finding a drive-by moil. And if he has to wear a yarmulke during the ceremony and we call it a bris, so be it. We'll do it. You tortured your son with a circumcision. Yes, much to the much to the chagrin of somebody that we both admire, Andrew Yang, we did go forward with that. Yes. Oh my God, Frank! I thought you'd be a contrarian on that too. Yeah. Um, certain things. Again, you got to choose your battles. Well, you I will battles. be uh, bringing you the bag of belly busters from Bay Street's White Castle with a bag with a bottle of Muscatel. So both you and Rachel can enjoy that. Uh, just don't let Carmine wolf down any of those belly busters. It's bad enough for you and Rachel. It'll be bad for him. So, God, thank you, Curtis. And in the words of the great Bob Barker, make sure you help control the pet population and get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. Excellent. As we continue, no Frank Morano here. He's just uh, rejoined Rachel. And he claims his son, Carmine, who is, uh, he claims 6.2 pounds. No way. I looked at that photo. I'm sure his wife photoshopped it. The kid, on all accounts, was 13 pounds. In fact, if they uh, ever arrest a kid uh, and they have to find silver bracelets that I've been arrested with 76 times. You know, when they handcuff you, they're going to need leg cuffs to put on his meat chop uh, arms. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. But we wish them the best, and we wish that Frank can return as soon as possible because, as he had mentioned, he's already, being the nudge that he is, already getting the evil eye, the malukia from Rachel. But let's get into our new subject matter, and it has to do with the shortages that exist throughout America. And there are quite a few of them at this point. I don't know if you're aware, but there is a shortage, a worker shortage. I see the signs up all the time. Uh, we're looking for employees. We're hiring here. It's product shortage. You know, all kinds of products. Then there's a Santa Claus shortage. So that typical retail establishments or counties or city governments that might hire the services of someone pretending to be Santa Claus, they can't find enough Santa Clauses as we move in to December 25th. 
There is a Christmas tree shortage. Yes, believe it or not, you normally get hijacked for $75, $100, $150, $200 for a tree that will be turned into a large toothpick upon uh, the time that you're no longer using it after the New Year's. Then we have probably maybe the most important supply chain crisis of all, liquor shortages. Whiskey, vodka, all types of hard liquor, all kinds of wines, all kinds of beers. There are shortages of. In fact, for any of you out there, if you can report to us shortages that are occurring in your community, we can follow up on that. Many of you would blame President Joe Biden, Vice President Harris, and more importantly, Boudicier, 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 the Secretary of Transportation, who is, I think, still on paternity leave. What is it, three months, four months? Maybe that's something that Frank Morano will do, follow in the footsteps of Boudicier, Boudicier, Boudicier. And what you can all do out there, because I know some of you, uh, you have Jake Legg, you have Rum Rouge. You love uh, to go to those gin mills. You can actually start fermenting your own grain mash, you know, with barley and corn and rye and wheat. And making your own whiskey, you know, as if you were in jail, you know, fermenting, you know, like oranges, banana peels, any kind of fructose, so that you could eventually down it and uh, knock it back as if it were Jameson. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Then there was the shortage that I told you of that was reported to me by my youngest son, Hunter, just last night. When I took him to a diner, he had a big slice of chocolate cake. And when I said to the uh, waiter, hey, pal, can I have a slice of lemon meringue pie? They always had lemon meringue pie in this diner. And the guy said, no, 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 there's a shortage of lemon meringue pie. I find that absolutely ludicrous. You go to a diner, especially many of you living in New Jersey, where there's a diner like in every neighborhood, every town, every interstate, Every road, every route, every bottleneck, uh, every crop circle that you have in New Jersey, there's a diner there. How the hell could you have a shortage of lemon meringue pies? I have gone into diners all throughout the tri-state area, and the one thing that is always there is a lemon meringue pie. It's been there in perpetuity. It could survive a nuclear ballast, especially the meringue itself. But no lemon meringue pie, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And what did Jews to do during the Hanukkah holiday? Eight days, right? No honey, not enough honey. There's a shortage of honey. Not only golden blossom honey, but other honeys. That's a staple of the Hanukkah celebration, of the defeat of the Greeks by the Jews, the Maccabees. They defeated the Greeks. I had no idea. I always thought it was the Romans. The Greeks. 1-800-848-9222. And then uh, the mezuzahs. You know, the stuff you put on the door when you're Jewish. And the tiffling, you know, the stuff you have around your neck uh, that shows uh, like it's hanging down from your suit jacket. I can't even pronounce it. But you got all kinds of shortages for the Orthodox Jewish community, the observant community, How will you get through this Hanukkah season? 
Are you going to blame President Joe Biden for that? Are you going to blame Vice President Harris? Are you going to blame Buttigieg, Buttigieg, Buttigieg for this uh, lack of supplies to enjoy your Hanukkah holiday? That's one 800 And then maybe the most troubling of all, the maple syrup shortage. Now, I know a lot of you refuse to buy Vermont maple syrup because it is so synonymous with Bernie the Altacaca Sanders, the socialist, and actually Ben and Jerry's, which will not sell its ice cream uh, to uh, Israel, but only to the Palestinian areas. And as a result, they've said, oofah to the rest of the world. By the way, uh, we are boycotting Israel. So a lot of Americans will not buy Vermont syrup. There is syrup made in New Hampshire. As you know, people will sit around for months on end and watch it drip, drip, drip for like three weeks of an entire year, and they get their syrup. But the number one maple syrup producer in the world is Quebec in Canada. You remember, may have remembered if you're an old-timer like me, René Levesque of the Quebecois. When Quebec tried to break away as a separatist province... From the rest of Canada, the red maple leaf, the Quebecois colors were blue. René Levesque led the attempt to break away secession. And uh, Trudeau Sr. sent in the tanks and put them down. And they couldn't get through a plebiscite or an initiative where they wanted to make French, French speaking the only language of the province of Quebec. French signs. French currency. And remember, Montreal was the closest major city to Europe. That's why they had the Olympics there. And remember who was the Olympic decathlon champion? Bruce Jenner. I forget what his name is now. She's a her, but I actually met her here near the elevators of WABCR Studios, and she was all for toots. She was excited meeting me because I was running for mayor. Remember, at the time, she was running. Uh, in the recall effort of uh, Pretty Boy Newsom, if in fact there had been a recall, she was one of the many candidates running, including the favorite, Larry Elder, the talk show host who I've known many, many years. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And by the way, Trudeau Jr. has shut off the pipeline retaliatory uh, in nature, because of what President Joe Biden did in turning off the oil pipeline coming in from Alberta, which really should be the 51st state. If any of you have ever been to Calgary or Edmonton or parts of Alberta, it's a western province. You know, the Chinook winds come in from Saskatchewan, Regina, uh, <laughs> and it's really more American than it is Canada. We should just take it. Like the movie, remember? Canada, Canadian bacon. Yeah, we should just declare war on Canada, seize Alberta. What are they going to do? They have the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, Dudley Do-Right, Nellis' girlfriend, and his steed, and they have eight helicopters. Eight helicopters. Like, they're going to stop us from taking Alberta? But anyway, President Joe Biden said, we don't want your stinking oil from the sands of Alberta and north of Edmonton. So they turned off the, uh, we turned off the pipeline to them. And now in retaliation, Trudeau Jr. has cut off the maple syrup pipeline. How are we going to survive when you, when you have your, your pancakes, your flapjacks, 
They make drinks with maple syrup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They put maple syrup on everything. But apparently, just as we have an oil reserve down in Louisiana and in Texas that I think the president has extracted 50 million gallons from because of the price of oil, he's trying to knock it down. They have a reserve of maple syrup, and they will not tap into that reserve. And I say free Quebec maple syrup. We need it for our log cabin syrup. Uh, Mrs. Butterworth's syrup, right? Mrs. Butterworth's. And I don't know what the name of it is now. The Aunt Jemima syrup. Remember they changed Aunt Jemima pancakes. Everything Aunt Jemima was changed. I have no idea what it's called now. And I don't know how International House of Pancakes will survive. Because whenever you go there... For your pancakes, they have like 52 different types of syrup. How are they going to get their syrup? They'll be out of business. Never mind Denny's with its Grand Slam, right? You got to have that side order of pancakes or what they call flapjacks. And by the way, question. What is the difference between wheat cakes, flapjacks, pancakes? What is the difference Because my favorite joint is south of the Mason-Dixon line. I don't like IHOP as much as uh, I like Waffle House. Yes, Waffle House. I've been to the museum outside of Atlanta. Uh, The three-eyed cousin fornicators love Waffle House. Uh, The customers, uh, the actual waiters and waitresses, they always have the stained aprons. They only have like three teeth in their mouth. And the cooks, you can actually see the cooks with the greasy spoon... uh, uh, <laughs> greasy spoon kitchen that they have there. You get to see all the slop back there. But hey, it's free refills with that watered down coffee. <laughs> I mean, it's the best Waffle House. I used to feed all the guardian angels in Waffle House and I didn't even have to break a $20 bill. <laughs> and they come, hey, you want anything more? <laughs> they got three teeth in their mouth. It's like hillbilly heaven. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Joseph. uh, Giuseppe, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Giuseppe. Hey, hey, Curtis, you're talking about Budovich, right? I mean, the guy touts himself as he should be the next president, or they tout him. They'll move him in, replace Harris, and then Biden will be out as soon as he drops Guy doesn't even show up. I mean, you know, he's touting himself as so genius that, you know, he doesn't even need to be the transportation secretary. He can be the president. Of course, at least you show up. You said you'd do the show Sunday. You're here. You're doing the show. Yeah. At least you show up. Unlike Frank Morano, who's going to now follow in Boudiget's footsteps, Boudiget, 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 in which he's going to take perpetual paternity leave. Watch what Frank Morano's going to do. He's going to get paid on paternity leave, even though he even mentioned that Rachel is giving him the evil eye, the maluk, because already he's a big nudge. Mm-hmm. You know that's going to happen, Joe. He's going to milk the system. Does he have to calm down on his uh, activities in terms of Atlantic City, too? I mean, uh, I mean, will he have to adjust to a little bit less gambling? I mean, like you said, he can't roll by a casino without spending the day there. Right. He's got to sign up for Gamblers Anonymous. I don't know what's going to break it for him, Joe. This guy, 
heavy roller. He goes down to Atlantic City. He ends up on those free Chinese buses. You know, they leave Flushing. They leave Chinatown. Because without the Chinese gambling and they come in from Philadelphia, Atlantic City would be out of business. I mean, the Chinese work hard all day. And then they gamble it away in Atlantic City. And Frank is there on a Chinese bus. And, you know, he needs two seats. And I said to myself, my God, you're taking two seats from the Chinese here because it's a free bus. This guy wants everything on the cuff, Joe. Yeah. Now, now also on the honey, and this will be a question for your audience. What's the story? Could the lack of bumblebees be a factor in that particular uh, shortfall? Could, could that be it? Yeah. Curtis? Well, look, there's uh, two shortages here. There's the bumblebees, obviously, that help make the honey, and bumblebee tuna. Also, I failed to mention that. There's a shortage of bumblebee tuna. So that means you have to get chicken of the sea, which I never liked to begin with. I'm sorry. Chicken of the sea could not compete with bumblebee. Do you agree with me on that, Giuseppe? I agree with you, Curtis, yeah. But but tuna is a good f- go-to food if you're trying to be, uh, you know, have a decent diet. I mean, that's a, you can mix that in a lot. Yeah, good, good protein. Good protein, yeah. tuna. But I'm telling you. There's a shortage of bumblebee tuna, along with the bumblebees, the real ones that are necessary to make the honey. And by the way, how many of you intelligentsia know how bumblebees make honey? Huh? huh? I bet you just assume you go to the supermarket and you just get your your, your golden blossom honey off uh, off of the shelf. You bring it to the counter. You have your uh, your card there, your snap card. It's got a woman's picture on it, you know, your food stamp card, and yet you're a guy and you're, you're, you're gaming the system by buying the honey with your snap card. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Tom in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, yeah. Tommy. Hi. Yeah, hiya, Curtis. I'd like to say that here's something. Take grapes, put them in your bathtub, and make sure the stoppers in there good, and stomp the grapes to make wine. That's an, that's another way to make uh, alcohol that's missing. No, you're correct, Tom. My grandfather, uh, Fidelo Bianchino, Bades from Andrea, uh, he would grow the grapes in the yard, and then he would take his uh, shoes and his socks off, start squishing the grapes, you know, in the uh, in the uh, wooden the wooden container there, and you know. He was old school. He didn't, like, take a shower every day or a well, bath every I, day. I actually was kidding, but anyway. But it is true. But, yeah, but well, it's true. Okay, but. Tom, did you ever try that, Tom? For oil, uh, listen, for, uh, 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 for, like, uh, the pancakes, you could use, uh, you could use. Uh, well, let me ask you a question. Why do they call it a pancake? Uh. That's a well. It's made in a pan, right? But uh, yeah, but it's not a cake. Well, uh, well, they well. I guess it's an erroneous name. Yes, it is. Right? And, and I want to know because Betty Crocker never made pancakes, did she? Uh, not that I know of. It was Aunt Jemima, they, and now there's no more Aunt Jemima. <laughs> there's no more Aunt Jemima. Yeah, that's true too. Well, what about well, I biscuits? I thought they were going to revamp her look. 
and I thought they were still in Angie Mamba, but no, no, I thought gone. they were going to revamp the look in modern day. Tom, it, it, gone. It's all gone. It's over. The cancel culture, over. No, no yeah, more Angie anyway, Mamba. Anyway, for, for, you could use molasses to put it on the pancakes. Think about that. Ah. Molasses is a very good product. It also helps the prostrate. I use molasses at home. It takes a little while to get used to it, but maybe they could mix it with some other. Tom, if only I had known that, I wouldn't have ended up with um, prostate yeah, with, cancer. With the cancer, yeah. Yeah, I mean. Well, but anyway, but I, I don't think it's a molasses. cure-all, but it helps a lot. I use a, I use a lot of molasses. And, you know, it ferments. You use that for hooch. And, uh, I you know, you use it, that for uh, hooch, the molasses. Uh, they, uh, I put it in the tea, like you know when you put honey in the tea. Yeah, remember when? Is in the tea. Remember when Hyman Roth told uh, the Godfather Marlon Brando, "Hey, remember I used to bring the molasses in from Canada." Remember that famous line that Sheldon Silver, aka Meyer Lansky, aka the Hyman Roth of the New York State Democratic Party. Thank God you're up there in jail. That's where you belong, you crook. Remember when I visited uh, Sheldon Silver when they released him without telling anyone in jail on the Lower East Side? And I rang the bell at his uh, housing unit. Say, hey, Shelly, you know, you're not supposed to be going anywhere. He goes, I know, Curtis, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going for my latkes, that's for sure. The next day, they shipped him back upstate to Otisville, the camp. Oh, that's doing tough time. These white-collar criminals, let me tell you something. The adjective I get. Oh, by the way, up next, the education of Frankie Russo. Got to tell you, I made a major mistake inviting him into the studio here when I used to do 12 to 3 before I departed to run for the mayoralty in March of this year. Uh, He had such a huge, humongous ego at Needed a crane to get him in and out of the studio back then, and he has not recovered since. There are things I like about Frankie Russo, his style, his show, his callers. My wife adores Frankie Russo. Nancy really does. She loves the callers. She says they're so entertaining. But I got a few bones to bend with Frankie Russo up next. You know, like father, like son. Frank Morano has uh, told everybody that he's gotten very nauseous, packed on a few pounds, and had an expectation of the birth of his son or daughter. They didn't know which gender at that time, he and Rachel. But we now know it's Carmine. He says it's 6.2 pounds. I say the photo has been photoshopped at the kids tipping 12 pounds, closer to 13 pounds and 12 pounds. So this would be appropriate for both Frank and for his brand-new son, Carmine. It is the Skinny Center. That's right, the Skinny Center. And I'm not talking about Laurel and Hardy, fat and skinny. I'm talking the Skinny Center. And look, I, I would think that once Frank decides to get off a of paternity leave, because he could be there a month of Sundays, you know, doing a Boudicier, Boudicier, milking the system, that he would get into the skinny center and go through their comprehensive lab testing, which pinpoints abnormalities in his body chemistry or yours that are reasons that you overeat, you crave sugar, and you've had six dry cocktails 
or martinis by the time 12 noon comes. Yeah, that's the recipe for Frank Morano. And you're always hungry. Not just hungry for information. Not just hungry for knowledge. But eating anything that's put in front of you or anything you inhale, and then you try to exhale, and all all of a sudden it's down in your tummy, tum, tummy. So look. Greg Kelly, who's on from 1.15 to 3 o'clock Monday through Friday. He'll be back today after taking the Thanksgiving uh, holiday. Uh, He says it's working for him. So the question is, uh, should Frank Morano, the deadbeat, the slacker that he is now on paternity leave, wait until finally he decides that Rachel is so mad at him that she's going to kick him out of the house, so now he decides to lose weight at the skinny center? And there are probably many of you that are thinking exactly the same way about yourselves. You want to get through the holiday, you know, Christmas, New Year's. You want to stuff yourself. And then all of a sudden you say, hey, I'm ready to lose that weight at the skinny center. Well, get the get your pad and pen out. Could be for yourself, someone you love, someone you know, someone you're going to meet during the long Christmas and New Year's holiday that could use the skinny center right now. So call the Skinny Center at 914-703-4811. That's 914-703-4811. Or go to theskinnycenter.com. That's theskinnycenter.com. 77 WABC, where the action is. By the way, before I introduce you to the education of Frankie Russo, we got a whole bunch of calls to clear through. It wouldn't be fair to them to keep them on hold since they are commenting on a panoply of some of the different subjects that we brought up since they came on the air at 9 p.m. this evening. And first was Curtis Liu and now... I'm trying to perform on the other side of midnight as if I was Frank Morano. That is impossible. I am not a contrarian like he is. Anyway, let's go to Joan, patiently waiting on the phone in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joan. Uh, hi, Curtis. Yes, I'm, I'm glad to finally get you on a, on a kind of a free-form, kind of free-for-all evening when, you, when you're not addicted or attached to a particular topic. Because I've been wanting for ages to ask you for some translations of some of the words you use a lot. And I, I assume they're Italian. And I, I, I kind of know what they mean from the context but I don't know what the actual word is or how you spell it. For example, fugazi. Now, I guess when you say that, it means fake, right? But what is the origin of that word? Is that an actual Italian word, or where do you get that word? How do you spell it? Uh, first off, remember, there are many different <laughs> dialects, remember. So yes. the bodies, that's how I was raised by my grandfather, Fidel, and my grandmother, Nicoletta Bianchino, and my mother, Francesca, and her 12 yes. siblings. Uh, it is a different dialect than the hard-headed Calabrese or the Napolitano who all become a hairstylist or the ones you can't really trust, the Sicilianos, because they're like cheeches and zips. And then the ones up north uh, near Rome and uh, north up near Trieste and Trent and Milan, they're all full of themselves. They think they're better than everyone else. So the, the first word that you are asking is fugazi. Actually, it was derived from a man who was a lifelong friend 
of George Steinbrenner and our owner and operator of uh, Red Apple Media, WABC, John Katsimatidis. His name was Fugazi. Uh, he owned. Was a guy, wasn't there a car company used to yeah. advertise on the station, right? Yeah, the limousine company. He was Mr. <laughs> limousine. Oh, that's the word that you're using, his name? Yeah, yeah well, uh, I'll explain it because I actually had a conversation with him about that at the New York Athletic Club. He used to go there because he was in such great shape that he would have suction cups on his uh, on his shoes and he would hang from the ceiling because he said it was great because blood would flow to his medulla and cerebellum. And he would actually hang there for about a good 10 minutes. And then one day, we're all sitting there. We're having a meal. It was John Katsimatidis, Margot Katsimatidis. It was Fugazi. He was also, he would get up and he would start doing impromptu songs. He would be a singer. And I say, hey, Fugazi, you know what your name means? It means you're a person of no consequence, a big zero, a Fugazi. And he said, look at me, Curtis. How long have you known me? Do I strike you as a zero? I said, that's because you're not Bares. You see, Joanne? You see? It's the different yeah. dialects. Now, when you say Bares, how do you spell that? And where, where is that exactly located? What area of Italy are you talking about when you say Bares? It really, it's called Bari, B-A-R-I. Uh-huh. It is right uh-huh. down near the boot along the Adriatic Sea, mm-hmm. opposite Albania. So okay. once a week, my grandfather, Fidela Bianchino, said that the ferry would come over. All the Albanians, they'd want to trade with uh, those in Andria. And there would be a siren warning all the women and children, the Albanians are coming, the Albanians are coming, hide the women, hide the chickens. And then they'd be there a few hours, and they would trade with the old Italian man, and then supposedly they'd go back on the ferry, but always... Part of the time, half the time, all the Albanians decided to stay in Bari. So if you go to Bari now, it's like half of uh, half of Albania there. Okay. See, you just learned so, something. Right, right. So Barese means from Bari, right? And Bari. you have a different dialect there than some other parts. Oh, yeah, and none of the other Italians understand Bari's. It, it's a language almost to its own. Okay. Now, if you're in body, you understand if you're in body, you're in the ice business. You have ice cubes in your pocket. They actually walk around with ice cubes in their pocket to keep up the tradition, keep the tradition alive. Okay. But so the Fugazi, so is that a, a slang word from there, and this guy just happened to have the same name, so you're teasing him about it with the suction cups and the health foods and the <laughs> health Yeah, well, that, yeah that's, that's a, a, the, the guy was sharp. He was Steinbrenner's best friend. He's John Katsimatidis and Margot's best friend. And I'm telling you, the guy, he would grab the microphone like he was Dean Martin. You know, there'd be a, a piano bar, and he'd start regaling you with songs. The guy had pipes. I mean, not like Sinatra, but he had pipes. Right. So he just happened to have the name that had this slang meaning, and you kind of teased him about it. Yeah, I told him. Just, You're a real fugazi, up pal. What little I know of Italian, a little Italian that I was studying, if I heard a word Fugazi and somebody said to me, how do you spell it? I would guess it was F-U-G-U-E-S-I, something like that. Now, remember, spelling was never my best subject here. You know, uh, in the spelling bee, I like bowed out on the first question. You know, I didn't even make it to the finals. You're, well, maybe some Italian scholar in the audience knows. Oh, scholar. Hey, a scholar. <laughs> Well, anyway, on that note, Joan, we'll leave it to a scholar 
Because I got to get ready for the education of Frankie Russo, who's a real Gavon. You know, Russo, vowel at the end of his name. <laughs> You're Italian, right? Well, hold, hold your horses. Who covered? Let's go to Jeannie in Queens. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Jeannie. Hello, Curtis. I voted for you, and I'm so sorry you didn't get to be mayor. I know you would have been wonderful. I'm sorrier than you are. <laughs> I wanted to tell you a few things about Hanukkah. You were asking if it's the Romans. It's the Syrian slash Greek Empire. It was mostly the Syrians that were in charge, and they were very cruel. And Hanukkah means dedication because they dedicated the temple when they were able to come back after it had been destroyed. And also... Let me ask you a question, though. Yes. Uh, The over-under point spread, if it had been the Spartans instead of the Syrians slash Greeks, could the Maccabees have taken out the Spartans? Well, I think they could have. You realize the Spartans were like the... The fiercest warriors of all time. And I'm not talking about the Michigan State Spartans. Right. But the Maccabees were also very fierce and very loyal and very devoted. And by the way, Maccabee means, um, let's see, Mika Mocha by El Im Hashem, which means who is like you, O God. Now, what are you going to do, Jeannie, now that there is a shortage of menorahs, uh, of the of honey that is so desperately needed, of the mezuzahs? I don't know about the mezuzah. I have a menorah and I have mezuzah of my own, so I, I personally am not too worried. But you are right about the honey. The bees and the butterflies are disappearing. Our pollinators are in trouble. Because I run a monarch butterfly garden, and every year there's less and less butterflies. And they both eat the same flowers, which are like the milkweeds and echinacea and all the purple tall plants. All the bees love whatever the butterflies eat. So everybody should go out and plant these plants, and we'd have you a know, better this time gives- of it. This gives me source. This gives me so much source, Jeannie. Why? That this is happening. Yeah, we're letting it. We're letting this happen. Well, maybe with the new green deal. I don't even know what's in that new green deal. Maybe there's a way to convince them well, to include. Well, wait a second. Include stuff for the butterflies. You do they- realize that AOC, all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, leader of the squad. They have no love for Israel. I have a feeling that they don't even discuss Hanukkah. No, but the butterflies are worldwide. I mean, that's part of our country. They fly from Mexico to Canada every summer and then back again and through our our lands. And I think Obama made attractive land in the middle of the country for them a few years ago. I think, I think yeah. what we need yes. are, are more Peter Pans. Because like a butterfly, remember, he would fly around Peter Pan, Peter Pan. You know, and I had the... I didn't have Jiffy peanut butter. My mother would buy Peter Pan because it was cheaper. I said, well, I don't want to eat Peter Pan. I don't know. This peanut butter doesn't even stick on the roof of my mouth. It's a cheap peanut butter. Our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. Now, we got to go to John in Brooklyn. John in Brooklyn was reading the Riot Act to Frankie Russo. Uh, just last night, who was making disparaging comments uh, about yours truly and Frank Morano and John was magnificent. John in Brooklyn. Let's go, John. John from Brooklyn. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Matt the Blaze. <laughs> well, I must commend you. You have a decent conversation with the Romaldis. I'm calling because a decent conversation. Uh, I understand you'd like to go after two of my favorite. Radio talk show hosts. Who's that? Curtis Lewa and my buddy Frank Morano. Okay. 
And, wow. and, and Frank is my buddy. Okay. And uh, I'm just asking you to lay off because... Why? Uh, well, because I, I tell you, for someone who claims to be a political expert, you don't... You not only do you pale in comparison with Sliwa and Murano, but right. you even pale in comparison more so with the likes of legendary figures like John Batchelor. I like Johnny Batchelor. Now, you notice there... John was getting to him. Let me first salute uh, Frankie Russo for having Anthony on, you know, from the slime light, you know, 6th Avenue. I mean, that used to be a dive as a disco. Like I said, they had the STDs embedded into the framework of that old church. That was a double disgrazia, a double shanda. They would make a church into a disco. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, round two. But it was sexually transmitted diseases galore. So I hope that Anthony, when he took over the slime light and turned it into a world-famous pizzeria, Grimaldi's, that he went in there and, you know, they did uh, the hazmat suits. Uh, you know, they did deep cleaning. Because let me tell you something. Oh, that, that place was nasty. But I want to tell you what is the mark of a good pizza. Just before I started uh, at 9 o'clock tonight here, I took that cold brick oven pizza, the one slice that was left with goat cheese on it, and you know it's a good slice of pizza if you can eat it the next day cold and it goes right down the hatch. This was a superb slice of pizza. So I, I, I want to hand it to Frankie Russo. He may be a, a total gabon. But he certainly picked the best pizza, Grimaldi's. I mean, a day later, pizza with goat cheese on it. I mean, we're talking good stuff. If only there were some anchovies on it. I love anchovies. I used to compete in competitive eating contests. And naturally, I wasn't always the best. But how he would freak out the competition is I would open up a little a little tinder uh, tin of anchovies and wave it to the other contestants. And half of them would start projectile vomiting. They couldn't deal with it. I love anchovies. If only Grimaldi's had put the anchovies on that cold brick, day-old slice of pizza that was so scrumptious, covered in goat cheese. That's the best I could say about uh, Frankie Russo. And then he started riffing about my partnership with the uh, progressive, aggressive, progressive Christopher Hahn. That right versus left with Chris Hahn is like, you know, Curtis is, Curtis is a, a progressive and Chris Hahn is a radical. Right, exactly. Left versus the far left. Chris, and, Chris and, Hahn, he worked for Chuck Schumer. Yeah, Chuck Schumer. You can't and I got this guy on that. the phone here trying to, I mean, he's yet to say what my, what's wrong with my political analysis. Nothing. Well, what's wrong with my political analysis? The problem is I don't hear enough of it. I hear you lambaste really? and criticize, right, and, and make fun of Curtis. And so Frank. you don't hear enough of my political and, analysis. And I wish you would stop it. Yeah, I, listen. I, I wish will... you would be more like Dominic Carter. I wish you would be more John, like John. John, John. I am Frankie oh, well, Russo. <laughs> they couldn't be any more opposite. Dominic Carter. Professional news guy for years. The image, the sound, the voice of New York One when it was established here so long ago. 
has worked for other TV news outlets, has hosted debates, traveled America in pursuit of the president primary elections and the candidates. And Frankie Russo objected to the comparison to the great newscaster and talk show host in his own right, originally from the Patterson Projects, man, tough projects in the South Bronx, down near 138th and 3rd, the Neck Projects, and uh, I'm telling you, street guy. Street guy who made it good against all odds. You see, that's why we got to season up Frankie Russo. He's still JV, still not part, still not part of the varsity, like Dominic Carter, like Frank Morano. Then a female caller calls up, and you know his libido probably went crazy because this guy, let's face it, schlub is how you describe this guy. If you've ever seen Frankie Russo, schlub. You know, he tries to come on to women, but he's too aggressive. You know, he's, he, he's, he tries too hard. But he finally gets this female, female caller, and he goes cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I turned on Curtis and Chris Hahn for one second, and he right. talked about poor Kyle, and he was saying he's not a saint, but he's not, you know, a bad guy. He's like wishy-washy, the, like you say. Right. But Chris Hahn, I can never stand him on Fox, and right. now... It's like, and he was on, every time I turn on the radio, he was on yesterday. He's on today. Um, and uh, Curtis, why do they say, like you say, he's uh, like us? He's not like us. He's a liberal. Exactly. Like Curtis is. Curtis is a liberal, too. Oh, and so is Morano. And exactly. I can't, exactly. I can't stand him. I don't want I, I can't stand, I can't, I can't stand fake. Broadcasters, honestly. Wow. I, 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 I'm not mentioning names because they want. I'm not re- referencing anybody's name, but people that pawn themselves one way and they're another way. That's why they're after. That's why Curtis is after me because Curtis is all over the place. Exactly. That's that, oh, I know. And Morano too. I mean, they're like not strong. Right. They're not. They're not convicted in their in their convictions. Know, like Curtis, Curtis is all over the place. You're damn right, we're not. Yeah, they're stories, just like wishy washy, not strong people. Right. That's why they don't like Trump. They're exact, jealous of Trump. Exactly, He's a man. Pam. And I was really upset last night when I heard somebody call up that said that Trump may not run. Yeah, I heard I, that. I, I, I don't yeah, think that's, that's true. Very, very upsetting because I think he deserves it. He I agree was, with you, Pam. I want him. Me, you and me both. He's I don't want great... DeSantis or. or uh, I like DeSantis, but I, but we want Trump first. Yeah, it's his turn. Right, and DeSantis can have it down the road. Exactly. Also... You see how excited he got when he had uh, what is he? Like one or two female callers within four hours. The other side of midnight. He got all excited. By the way, Frank Morano is a Trumper. Uh, he voted. He supported for Trump. So you notice how it's spreading misinformation. But I will tell you this. He's got he's got a long way to go. We'll call it the education of Frankie Russo. Man. I just uh, I gotta I, I, I think I got to. As the senior member here at WABC. I think I'm the senior member. I've been here most of the thirty years. So I've been here longer, obviously, than Bernard McGurk, although he's been in radio a long time at the old WHN, Sid Rosenberg, likewise, mostly at uh, WHN. 
trying to think of everybody else here in the lineup, and nah, I think I'm the senior member, right? Yeah, 30 years. 26 years, 25 years at WABC, briefly at WNYC, not my place to be, New York City Public Radio. Could you imagine Curtis Lee on New York City Public Radio? Well, at the time, I had been fired with Lisa from the morning show because our marriage was coming apart and they were afraid that Lisa was going to sink her 13-inch combat boots into my head. We were fighting on the air. I'm telling you, it almost got physical. So I remember John Minnelli was the program director. He told us, hey, you kids, you've had a great run on uh, Great White Way Broadway, three years. Now pack your bags, get the hell out of here. So my Kumbada Chiefs, Rudy Giuliani, had just been elected mayor. He said, hey, I got this stick. That's right. We subsidize this public radio station, WNYC. We really should sell the stick. It could generate revenue for a city that was facing um, hard times when Rudy got elected because of David Dinkins. And ironically, that stick ended up being bought by who? Rupert Murdoch. Now you know the rest of the story about Fox News because that was the TV station. The radio station was listener-supported. So Rudy forces me on to them. So you have, uh, just like you have now, you have uh, Lair, Brian Lair, mid-mornings. And then you had the cultural expert, uh, Lenny Lopez. You know, he was uh, pretentious, omnipotent, better than everyone else. So he was on like from 12 to 2. I was on from 2 to 4. And I would do neighborhood reports because I think everybody acknowledges that I know more about New York City, more about the neighborhoods, more about the back alleys, the good, the bad, the ugly than anybody else in New York City. Everybody, if they don't, if they don't know anything else or acknowledge anything else about the life and times of Curtis Lee, even the guy I beat for mayor, Eric Adams, would know that in a Jeopardy contest about knowing all different parts of New York City, he would lose. Give me an example. The Staten Island advance would not endorse me. The advance, even though I won Staten Island by 70%. This is what their editorial board came to the conclusion. Curtis Lewin knows more about Staten Island than any candidate running for any office. In fact, if he were to choose to run for the Staten Island Borough President, we would have given him our endorsement instead of uh, Vito Fisella. Now, first off, I didn't know more about Staten Island than Vito Fisella or his challengers uh, uh, for DA. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Murphy for the Borough President. Uh, formerly the son of that crook, remember Murphy from Abscam, the congressman, uh, and uh, also Leticia Romero, who used to be the chairwoman of the Republican Party, right on the conservative party line. These folks knew way more about Staten Island than I did, but I certainly knew more about Staten Island than Eric Adams. And yet, who did they endorse saying, I know more than any candidate about Staten Island in the advance? They endorsed Eric Adams. Now, how do you... And yet they said if I had run for borough president in Staten Island, which I couldn't because I don't live there, although maybe I should, based on the fact that I got 70% of the vote, uh, they said, oh, if you would run for borough president in Staten Island, we would have endorsed him. Try to figure that out. Anyway, let's go to Tony, who's calling from Bensonhurst. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tone. Hey, Tony, where are you, Tony? Tony's probably at the wire room placing a few bets. You know, he got washed out. College football Saturday, pro football today. He's hedging his bets. 
It's okay, Tony. It's okay. I understand. He's kind of upset because he thought that Kid Carmine uh, named uh, Frank Morano and Rachel's son was named after Carmine Persico, who used to run that wire room that Tony's in right now in Bensonhurst. Let's go to Nick in Farmingdale. Apparently, you have an answer to a Curtis Lewa question. I do. Um, Chubby Checker grew up in South Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. Uh, I thought I was right. I Let me uh, explain. I, I, Let me I'm explain. All right. You're close. Go ahead. This is very similar to the smoking Joe Frazier story. Joe Frazier was born, I believe, in Beaumont, South Carolina, then moved to Philadelphia and became smoking Joe Frazier, one of the greatest fighters of all time. Likewise... You had Chubby Checker, who developed the twist and shout that was so popular in the 60s, the number one song, the number one dance uh, for so many months. He was born and raised, I think, in Sumter, South Carolina, not quite sure. Came to Philadelphia and I think established his claim to fame in Milwaukee. Uh, I don't know if he was drinking Schmitz or Miller High Life, but that's when he started to do the... uh, the twist and shout and the mashed potatoes. Uh, does that satisfy you, Nick? It does, Curtis. And I want to say one more thing uh, about Frankie Russo, actually. Um, so, you, you know, I think his show is actually uh, pretty interesting. And uh, I kind of side with how your wife Nancy feels about it. I think that he has a really, a really interesting format and um, his callers are great. Um, I, I just think that he... I, I don't think that he deserves the uh, the uh, the bashing that you've been uh, giving him, and some of the and some of the other uh, hosts have been giving him uh, the last few few days, few weeks. You know what? He needs a little maturation. Would you acknowledge that he's a little too immature? Yeah, well, he's a new I do, jack. I do. I mean, I I think there's room for improvement with everyone. I mean, you know what I mean. But I think that. Uh, Frankie is doing a pretty good job on the air, and I'm not just saying that because he gives me airtime and stuff. I'm just saying that because I think he's a good host. No, you're right. Look, my wife, Nancy, constantly, you heard her earlier tonight when she gave us the animal welfare update. She says uh, Frankie is very entertaining, and she loves mm-hmm. the callers. She loves the callers like you. She she just adores it. She, the few hours that I would get at night, Although it is beneficial because at night, if she wasn't listening to Frankie Russo, the two times that he hosts The Other Side of Midnight, she'd be snoring up a storm and peeling the paint in our 328-square-foot apartment. Right. And also, one more thing, speaking of Nancy, I wanted to ask her earlier, but we never got, I guess you never got to me, you know. I know you got a lot of callers and a lot of different subjects. Um, I guess I could ask you this question. So my cousin recently got a new cat. Um, her name is Callie. She's a calico cat. And I wanted to know, um, are there any ways you could, like, possibly be too aggressive with uh, or teach the cat aggression with playing with it? Or are there any bad ways that you could, like, think of, like a anything like a yarn ball or something or a string or your own hand? Is there any way that's too aggressive or could affect their development? Well, you know what? We're going to put that in a can. And next week... At 12 midnight, same time, same place. When we go to Nancy, my wife, the animal welfare expert, we will uh, play that question back to her. She's the expert. I really don't know about that. You know, I would prefer going into a cage with the big cats. 
you know, maybe having a show in Las Vegas, put my head in the lion's mouth, you know, or the tiger's mouth. You know, I, I would do something impetuous like that just to prove that I'm a macho, maniacal guy. Not. <laughs> there are a lot of things I'll do to risk my life. But when I see those guys, you know, putting their heads in the mouth of a lion, a hungry lion, or in the mouth of a tiger, and all of a sudden, they're like, the tiger's hugging them, the lion's hugging them. <laughs> Any second, the lion or the tiger's going to gobble them up. And they're like, hey, it's like nothing, like they're playing with a calico cat. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. You don't want to miss coming up. The Defense of the Salvation Army, this great organization, is under fire, under attack. Because of the cancel culture, I think, but also other denominations in the Protestant faith and some of the Roman Catholic faith who always have loathed, despised, and hated the Salvation Army. Let's go right to the phones to Corey in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Corey. Curtis, I'm back. Just wanted to respond to that uh, kid that sounded like he's 18 years old. Talking about Frankie Russo is a great show. Well, I used to like his show, and I think he started when Frank Morano gave him a shot filling in for him, and then got in that way. And it was a decent show, but as soon as he started with uh, supporting this, I don't know, baseball player's kid over you because you were never Trumper, it was like, what a gavone, you know, uh, and bad math on you. Well, look. Uh, I'd like to see you catch him in an alleyway. You know, that's all I'm saying. Oh, uh, he'd catch a beat down from me, no doubt about it. I'd jap him, no doubt about it. But, Corey, as much as he tried for Joe Pepitone, greatest, one of the greatest Yankees of all time. I love Joe Pepitone. 1964, hit 25 home runs. Great, great first baseman. He was uh, like a Hoover vacuum cleaner there. He still couldn't put Joe Pepitone over the top. Only got like 1% of the voters. As hard as Frankie Russo tried to disparage me, didn't work. In all the places where WABC is heard, including Frankie Russo, who does very well in the ratings in these places, uh, a place that birthed him, South Brooklyn, I won. Staten Island, I won. Parts of Southern Queens out in the Rockaways Broad Channel, I won. Howard Beach, I won. Yeah, Maspeth, Middle Vista, Glendale, I won. Bayside, Whitestone, College Point, I won. So um, Joe Pepitone, great baseball player, no doubt about it. One of the greatest Yankees of all time. I remember him. He replaced Mickey Mantle in center field. And he did the basket catch. I mean, one of the few to actually do basket catches. It was like Roberto Clemente, Tommy Agee of the Mets, who had been with the Chicago White Sox basket catch. And, of course, the great Willie Mays. Look, the kid needs seasoning. He's JV. He'll get there. But he should have realized he should never have gone up against Curtis Slewa. Look, Fernando Mateo tried, right, in the Republican primary. I crushed him 70 to 30. So how did this little pisher, this little pisher, this dreck, think that he was going to promote the former great Yankee, Joe Pepitone, who went to manual training, which became, in Park Slope, 
John Jay High School, lived in Canarsie on Ralph Avenue, that my own Uncle Ralphie took to Yankee Stadium sometime at the Rockaway Parkway livery service. How the hell he thought that Joe Pepitone would beat me uh, for mayor? I don't know where his mind was. Now, Frank Morano this morning... We heard from Frank. He was calling from the bubble that had been constructed for him at Richmond County Hospital, where he was caring for his wife, Rachel, who had delivered Carmine. He claims 6.2 pounds. I looked at the photos. I'm sure many of you did that Rachel posted. Easily 12 pounds plus, I think closer to 13 pounds and 12 pounds. But, you know, he wanted to create theater of the mind that he had uh, a thin kid, instead of a uh, hefty kid. And uh, we had quite the discussion. He wasn't supposed to call up, but then again, you know how Frank is. He's a contrarian. He broke the rules and regulations of Richmond County Hospital. You had the midwife who was outside the room tending to Rachel whenever she needed her, 92-year-old nun from Mount Laredo. And they got rid of Nurse, uh, Nurse Ratchet who was the OPGNY at the time of the delivery of young Carmine. Uh, he put his two cents plane in. Uh, actually, it really wasn't worth it, was it? He didn't really say much. You know, he just didn't answer questions. Yeah, you would have thought that he was taking the Fifth Amendment. When I, I asked him simple questions, right? It was like he was on the witness stand <laughs> taking the Fifth Amendment. The freak, I got to talk to Frank Morano. He needs a lawyer when he answers simple questions. But on am I. But anyway, now a very serious topic. I don't know if many of you are aware. I do know that some of you are aware that the Salvation Army is under attack. Under attack from all quarters. It's an internationally renowned operation. As its basis... It is a religious organization, but it helps people of all backgrounds, all varieties, all varieties. And you know them. It's a Christian organization, but a lot of Christian organizations don't like them. I think they're closer to the Methodists than anybody, but they don't believe in baptism. They don't believe in communion. They wear those paramilitary uniforms, you know, with the stripes and the ranks, and naturally, you best come to know them this season right after Thanksgiving when they have their Red Kettle campaign. Or when you see their thrift stores because you're a little down on your luck and you had to go to a Salvation Army thrift store in order to get your needed items. And they're clanging the bell and they're entertaining and they're trying to get money so that they can provide services for the next year, hoping that you'll put the moolah schmoolah in the Red Kettle. Well, recently, the Daily Call published an article claiming that through an internal email, the Salvation Army had joined the cancel culture. And what I mean by that, that in publishing a study guide about racism, they were fostering conversations that were closer to Black Lives Matter than they would be to being open-minded to all racials, all ethnic groups, all religions, and even those who were aesthetics uh, or uh, just didn't believe in religion at all. And so they published this Daily Call article, and the Salvation Army said, look, 
We believe in open discussions. We encourage a more thoughtful organization that is better positioned to serve those in need. Uh, we have guides that are sorely designed for internal use only. No one is being told how to think, period, the statement said. And this happens in a lot of nonprofit organizations, religious organizations, certainly in corporations. You've seen that internally within Facebook. A lot of uh, Facebook employees and some of the upper echelon have questioned Mark Zuckerberg. And the New York Times uh, published an entire expose about that. It's common. But it doesn't mean that the Salvation Army is going to change all of a sudden and become an organization as been described by some in their many vile comments that all of a sudden is guilty of white hate. White self-hate, promotion of black and Hispanic ideology to the detriment of white ideology, Uh, I'll, I'll call it that, but that's just not true, and yet they're getting pounded. Let me read to you some of the comments that are pouring in fast and furiously against this great organization. Quote, They will soon find that they backed the wrong pony in this race. We aren't going to put up with this sort of pandering much longer. Quote, the answer is simple. They have been infiltrated and infected. The Salvation Army you knew is dead. Quote, the Salvation Army too? I donated funds intended for helping the needy, something the Salvation has been perhaps the best charity doing. Such spent on wokeism and critical race theory. It's an insult to all of us who have, with glad hearts, supported the Salvation Army for many decades. For me, it ended today. There are more direct ways of helping those in need. These are are, are specious. And this is all as a result of the Daily Call publishing an internal memo being circulated amongst the Salvationists. That's what they call themselves. I, too, have supported the Salvation Army for decades, writes another. I believed it was head and shoulders above any other organization. Administrative costs were minimal. Distributions were effective and fair. I donated time, money, and support and taught my family to do the same. It saddens me that I can no longer support them. Why? Why? Because of this one article by the Daily Call? Because it went viral? Do you not listen to the support? that they put forward in defense of their internal memos that are not always accepted. It's part of what they believe, free speech, free discussion, free reign of some of their members to express themselves. And yet now all of a sudden you're going to abandon the Salvation Army that has never abandoned us? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Here's another. This won't do much to help fill the kettles this Christmas season. You're damn right. It's affecting them in a very negative way. Quote, so they used the money I donated to create a guide that calls me racist? Wow. That obviously was by a white donor who seems to think that the Salvation Army is now comprised of people hating white people, self-hating white people, and promoting a creative race theory agenda. That is not true. That is not true. Quote, don't be surprised when we ignore your sidewalk panhandlers and Santas. Wait a second. Sidewalk Santas? 
Is that the Salvation Army? I think I think uh, they've discombobulated that with another group, another charity. Am I correct on that? Anyone who can answer that question, who has typically put out the sidewalk Santas to raise money uh, during the Thanksgiving to Christmas, New Year's holiday in order to subsidize their charities? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now... Some other comments, very negative. Salvation Army, I'm done with you. No more donations. Why? Why? Every year I give a sizable donation to the Salvation Army. No more. Go woke. Lose my support permanently. Boy, this is, this is really troubling. You see, because of the new technology, because of the Internet, because things go virtual... Because things get spread around the globe overnight. A great organization like the Salvation Army can be sullied. If any of you have had experiences with the Salvation Army, I don't care from what era. If many of you have gone to Salvation Army events, if any of you are Salvationists, as they call members of the Salvation Army, please rise. This is the occasion to come to their defense. This is not the time to remain quiet. And if you have something negative to say, feel free to do so. We're not monitoring uh, only positive speech for the Salvation Army. If it's anything negative, bring it to our attention. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Another person writes, the Salvation Army was the only outfit that went to the front lines to bring food and help the soldiers in Korea. While my dad was there, dad always appreciated their courage and raised us to understand how they acted without fear and donated faithfully until he died. He would be very disappointed. Oh, my God. And then they go on to uh, cite negative statements because of what they are willing to believe in this one memo that surfaced internally from the Salvation Army to some of its membership that was printed by the Daily Call. Quote, yes, they can get their donations from those that they support. Come on. I always respected and supported the Salvation Army and considered them among the very few honest charities that actually sought to help rather than simply pay their staff huge salaries and grow their bureaucracy. This is a step in the wrong direction and definitely reduces their appeal, and I no longer plan on supporting them. Wow. How quickly you become fair-weather friends. An organization that has provided decades of service, not only to people of their own belief, but people who are desperately in need. I'll give you an example. My father, Chester. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. My father, Chester, was a merchant seaman for 55 years. And during those 55 years, definitely after World War II, when he came back from serving in the Merchant Mariners, he continued to sail as a bosun. And oftentimes on a ship, a ship might get tied up at a foreign port, away from the port of New York, the port of Brooklyn, the port of Staten Island, or the port of Newark, Elizabeth. And because of a labor dispute, all of a sudden the men were put out to shore. It could have been a strike, overnight strike by the union. 
it could have been enforcement by the owner and management that, okay, until you guys decide to follow our new rules, that's it. We're tying up the ship in New Orleans. And I got to tell you, my dad told me when they were put off the ship in New Orleans and they were tied up in the port of New Orleans, all the seamen were in danger of getting arrested, charged by the local sheriff of the parish of Orleans with loitering. First of all, they hated seamen. They thought that they carried disease, pestilence. Uh, They thought that they were rapists and marauders. They thought that many seamen, uh, in fact, were criminals who had escaped the long arm of the law in their countries or states around America, and they went to sea to escape prosecution and incarceration. So when a ship would come in, oftentimes the community would be advised, lock your doors, close your windows, don't engage these men, because they are psychotic, they're out of control, they're disease-ridden, they have all kinds of social diseases. I know that. My father told me these stories. And they were snubbed. And as he and his mates were lined up on the beach in the port of uh, New Orleans, the Salvation Army every day would come around with an envelope, $2 in the envelope they'd give to each and every man, none of whom were Salvationist members of the Salvation Army, so that when they were approached by the sheriff's deputies, or the deputy sheriffs, and asked to show that they had any money on them so that they wouldn't be arrested for loitering, they would show the $2, and that was just enough money to keep them from being sent to the pea patch, the county, or in this case, the parish pea patch, where they would be assigned two, three months, sometimes six months, picking peas in the pea patch for being charged with loitering. Unbelievable. Absolutely Unbelievable. And I'm thinking of the time that they were started, going way back to London. Back in 1865 by the Booth family, if I remember correctly. It was in London, not here in America. It was the end of our Civil War. And they had started and they were snubbed by so many other Christian organizations who felt that the Salvationists, or as they are better known, the Salvation Army, was trying to bogart their spirituality, trying to recruit their members away. Well, guess what? They're now in 130 countries. They run charity shops, shelters for the homeless, good shelters, I might add. I've been in many of them. I can't say that about other nonprofits or religious organizations. Disaster relief. They'll show up at a disaster. The Red Cross will be there. The Red Cross will get all the attention and recognition, not the Salvation Army. Humanitarian aid to developing countries, they do it all. They do it all, and they don't ask for anything in return, except except when they have their red kettle drive, and they're ringing their bells, and they're in need of support from so many of us. I remember I had given the keynote speech at a annual luncheon they have here in New York City. I told that story about how they had prevented my father from being arrested for loitering and so many of the other seamen who were on the beach because the ship was tied up in the port of New Orleans. And they explained to me so many of the other great works that they have done, not just recently, but all throughout history. And to see how people have turned their backs on them now in their time of need. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Many of you just keep repeating, lip-syncing what you've seen on TV or heard on radio 
or maybe read on the internet or saw on a post or a blog or saw on the daily call without ever, without ever scratching your head and suggesting it, maybe I ought to look into this. Maybe I ought to research this. Maybe I shouldn't be all so judgmental. I remember when I was growing up, I was told by my Aunt Mary, a hardcore Catholic, you know, novenas on Monday, stations of the cross on Tuesday, lighting of the candles before confession on Saturday, and then mass on Sunday. I mean, hardcore Roman Catholic. As we would go out shopping during the Christmas season, she loved ANSs downtown Brooklyn. And there, there was the Salvation Army. They had their red kettle. They were clanging their, uh, their, uh, what do you call that thing that they clang up and down? Their bell. And I remember my Aunt Mary said, don't put money. That's the belly of Satan. They, they're not real Christians. See, uh, Roman Catholics, we thought that the RC stood for real Christians. Because naturally on uh, Ash Wednesday, you'd walk around, you'd be putting out your chest, busting your pride. Hey, look at me, RC, real Christians, Protestants, other Christians. Oh, no, no, we were told that was like the, the red kettle of Satan. And I know uh, other Protestants felt just the same way. They really didn't like the Salvation of Army. I would listen to the conversations, and I said, what is this, the devil? What is this, Satan? <laughs> they look like stand-up people. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Peter, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Peter. Hey, Curtis, I have to tell you, I never really told too many people about this, but with the Salvation Army having trouble like this, i got to come out with this, okay? Uh, when I was about... 28, I had a bad uh, alcohol and drug problem, and I went to the Salvation Army in Staten Island on uh, Forest Avenue, and uh, they helped me out. They actually, I got cleaned up in about a year. Uh, This uh, gentleman brother, Anthony, was the guy that really helped me out a lot, and uh, I don't talk about this, but now that they're in trouble, I got to come out with it. Uh, a lot of people on the island know me, you know me, and to come out and tell the truth about it is, it's been a long, long time, you know, and they helped me. I mean, I have an occasional drink once in a while. I don't not drink at all, but uh, they saved my life. So I'm going to be the referee for your fight if it happens with uh, Frankie Russo. And I just want everybody to know that there is help out there because I've been clean for about 35 years, you know, and I haven't gotten to trouble or had any relapses. Now, Peter, so I got Peter, what, what you have to do and others, I know many are listening right now. They're like uh, perpendicular to the ground, parallel to the ground. You know, they got the earbud in the ear. They can barely sort of process this, although their subconscious mind is absorbing it at this hour of the morning is that we got to rise and shine and stand in defense of the Salvation Army that's under attack. You, you, you weren't brought up a Salvationist in the uh, Salvation Army. I wasn't. But all I've ever heard from them is like the stories you just told me, Peter, that they came to your aid when, when others either didn't have luck with getting you off your drug and alcohol problems. They seem to have had the recipe and the remedy for you. Right. Well, we had nobody even knew that I had this, my family, my parents. And I used to get a lot of help from your father when he used to come on the air because 
I used to be glued to the radio because he was like words of wisdom. He's one of the smartest people that I ever listened to in my life. I have to tell you, uh, Chester knew what it was about, and, I, and your mom too. I always enjoyed them because they were solid, and your father knew what he was talking about. And when he came on the radio with you, I, I loved how, how much he was proud of you and your mom. So I, I have to tell you, you guys gave me a lot of support on the radio. I got to tell you, time. Peter, that warms the coddles of my soul. I think that's the term you use, right? The coddles of your soul. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. In defense of the Salvation Army, under attack from all quarters. Well, maybe you want to contribute to uh, the negative overview that unfortunately is uh, permeating social media. I think unfairly. Let's go to Albin in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Albin. Uh, thanks, uh, Curtis. Um, you know, I um, I actually uh, I am a Roman Catholic. I have a background, a Roman Catholic background. And uh, but I used to read the Salvation Army's magazine well for a number of years. It was only about ten dollars a year, and I really enjoyed it. And I grew up in Hell's Kitchen, and I still live in Manhattan on the East Side now. And my father was a heavy drinker, and at times when he was a friend to my mother, and and he and he hit rock bottom because of his drinking, he had to sleep at the Salvation Army, and I think they did a good thing for him because he needed a place to stay. And the other thing I'd like to say is that uh, I retired from the Postal Service last year, and I'm very proud and happy to have worked there. And you have a lot of bunch of people there who are very nice to work with. But I don't like the way people demonize police officers. Now, I love, you know, and, and there are bad uh, people in every organization, every government agency. But I don't, I, I just don't appreciate it. And I, I do know my father, who was a police officer, took the job very seriously, and he was proud to be one. And I think, I just think there's a thing somewhere, I don't know who's doing this, is putting the wedge between people who are risking their lives, like firemen and all other people, you know, do, trying to help people. Yeah, well, and, and, you and know, Albert, that's, that's all, that, that's, I know, but that's all part of turning heroes into zeros. They've done that with the police. They've done that with healthcare workers that we used to applaud, and then some of them, for a variety of reasons, medical, religious, couldn't take uh, the vaccine, or maybe they just didn't trust the government. Shock, shock. And then all of a sudden, they fired him. The same people that we were applauding, who crawled into the belly of the beast, the ICUs, the ERs, when there was no PPP, there was no protective garb, there were no masks. And then suddenly we just cast them aside as if they were people of no consequence. And now we're doing it to the Salvation Army. And, you know, for a lot of you, I know what your attitude is. Well, I'm not a Salvationist. I don't belong to the Salvation Army. Not my battle. Hell yes, it is. When a great organization like this is under attack that has helped so many thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. Like in the case of Albin's father, he would get drunk. He'd be on a bender. Mother couldn't deal with him at home. Probably was a detriment to uh, the kids. And he'd go off and sleep it off at a Salvation Army mission where he'd dry out. And they'd take care of him. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC.
The Salvation Army is under attack, ladies and gentlemen. I can think of few, if any, organizations that have given such selfless service. I've seen their works all over the country, the thrift shops, the places, the missions they've had for people with drug and alcohol problems, the poor, the uh, destitute. Uh, I remember when starting the Guardian Angels in Gary, Indiana, we were able to use the Salvation Army headquarters to train there. That was one of the most dangerous small cities in America. And in Manchester, New Hampshire, when we did that, nobody wanted to give us space to train a group there, but the Salvation Army did. And now, because they had an internal memo that was being spread through the ranks talking about wokeism and uh, how the whites uh, in the organization needed... Uh, to acknowledge uh, the hate that whites have uh, pervaded onto people of color. They're now under attack. Anyway, let's go to uh, Big Julius calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Curtis, how the hell are you tonight? Hey, Curtis, they're attacking everything. The next thing you know, they'll be attacking the March of the Wooden Soldiers. That'll be another thing that's systematic or racist. <laughs> Listen. I'm th- they're going to do that next. They're waiting. They're waiting for that. Uh, listen, Doug Curtis, the Salvation Army. When I was growing up as a kid, my mother used to say, God forbid anything ever happened to us. The first place you go to, not the church, nor any place else, you go directly to the Salvation Army. They're the only ones that will be able to help you. I believed it then, and I believe it till today. And anybody listening... Keep it in your heart. Help them and do anything because they're there for everybody. That's all I got to say. Hey, Curtis, by the way, I voted for you, and I'm in Williamsburg here, and uh, a lot of people did vote for you. And if you're ever down Wilson Street in Williamsburg, I'm the guy that takes care of the pigeons and the cats. And we're all here for you. Well, i tell you what, uh, I oftentimes do pass by Wilson. I will uh, drop by Big Julie. Couldn't have said it any better. When you pass the red kettle, when you see them ringing the bell, because this is the time of year they got to raise funds for all the great work they do, the Salvation Army, uh, double the amount you normally put in because you know they're hurting. You know that people are believing this negative propaganda against them and are restricting their donations, whereas normally they would have put, put in the red kettle whatever they could afford. Now it's almost like, well, that's it. You're going to go woke. We're not giving you any money. Well, look who's on the line. It's uh, my wife, Nancy. Uh, Nancy is awake, wide awake, and I guess bushy-tailed. What, were you snoring there? <laughs> no, I was listening to the stuff about the Salvation Army, so I wanted to call in and, and, and chime in. Well, sure. How, how has uh, Salvation Army had an impact on your family? Well, I mean, so when I was uh, in in preschool, I actually went to uh, Salvation Army uh, in preschool, which was a great experience. But um, with my grandmother, um, when like with her, when uh, my great uh, when my grandfather he had actually passed away, the only organization that was really uh, reaching out to help them at the time. And she was like an immigrant, and, you know, they were actually willing to help uh, her with, uh, you know, food and furniture and things of that nature. So, again, I mean, I, I don't, I think there, I mean, one sort of a, 
you know, thing going on right now. I mean, no question with my family. Um, this was very helpful at the time with with my family. They actually were really impactful. It's interesting because uh, I remember that story your mother was telling that her grandfather, who had come over with her grandmother from Austria-Hungary, first went to um, Jersey City. They couldn't speak any English. It was hard to get any work there. So they came to Greenpoint, Brooklyn, which was mostly Polish, but had some Austria-Hungrians there. Couldn't speak any English. And her grandfather had his Sunday suit. Usually he only had like one suit, and that was it, particularly if you were down in terms of your uh, financial ability. And the men used to carry kerosene around in a little canister in their back pocket in case they got a stain on their Sunday suit, their Sunday best, and they would wipe out the stain right away with kerosene because if you didn't, it's like, you know how oftentimes if you get a stain, they'll say, get seltzer real quick. Rub seltzer on it, and this way the stain won't uh, remain. It can be then brought to the dry cleaner. Well, there was no dry cleaner back then. So they would take the kerosene from the back little canister, which was like a, uh, a metal object, and they would pour it on the uh, stain, and then they put the canister back in their back pocket. And most of the men back then were smokers. So what happened was he was ready to smoke one of his many cigarettes and he took the wooden match and he flicked it on the back canister in his pocket to light the match. And instead it lit up uh, the rest of the kerosene that had seeped out of the canister like a flask. And he went up. He was engulfed in flames. It killed him. And he left behind his wife and five daughters that had to fend for themselves. And as your mother had described to me, uh, they would go to the Salvation Army, they get a hot cup of cocoa on weekends, they'd be provided meals, oftentimes they could get old used furniture for their home. And then at one point, your your uh, uh, the two sisters in the family were so grateful that they actually <laughs> went out, volunteered to ring the bell at the Red Kettle but their older sister, Mary, who was working at that time, saw them and dragged them home and said, you can't be doing that. Uh, you can't be joining I mean, the Salvation I mean, Army. It's like very um, like different times from today, too, because I definitely think there's, um, you know, certainly like a level of pride, like, oh, I don't want to take a handout. And I think that was really, you know, where the mentality was back back then, like, oh, I don't want to take a handout. There's nothing wrong with that, but, I mean, I think that, you know, there was like that sort of level of, oh, I, I don't want, you know, anyone to look down upon me. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it, I think I think that's where people sort of, uh, you know, got their strength from. Like, oh, no, I can just, you know, recover. I can do what I need to do. But, I mean, again, it, it's just like a very different time at that point, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that that's what was going on then. Like, oh, you know, people don't want to take the handout, so they just want to recover and be, you know, strong. So, yeah, it's different. Yeah, but imagine a widow with five daughters, couldn't speak English, had to take whatever job she could, uh, cleaning up offices or cleaning up homes. Uh, and then her children had to end up getting work when they were like 14 or 15 in order to help yeah. subsidize the family. They, there was no such thing as relief, no social services, no welfare. 
you were on your own. And if not for the Salvation Army, they could not have made it, according to your own mother, the way she described it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and they would have, um, like, like you said, it was like, a, you know, f- uh, you know, meals during the weekends, and also like offering furniture. So, but again, I think that that was what was so nice about it. It's like, it's not that you're getting a handout. It's almost like, oh, your neighbors are working with you. Like, oh, we see you're down and out, so we'll help you now, and you know, you can help us when you get back. So I think that sort of level of, um, you know, maintaining that pride. I think that was that really is super important. Like you don't want people to feel they need a handout. It's like, oh, we're just helping you for a moment, and then okay, when you get on your feet, you help us too. I think that's really very important. Well, now you were living on Palmetto Street in Ridgewood when you went to the preschool run by the Salvation yeah, Army. Correct. Correct. What What did they expose you to at that school? What were things that you learned there at your young age? Well, when I was there, I mean, I mean, they were very super engaging. I, I mean, the fact that I recall it at that young age, it's like I remember having uh, they had the bowling alley there. I remember having the painting there. I remember it's like I remember the the, you know, the kids that were at the school with me. Like I mean, at three, four years old, I actually still remember this. So, I mean, <laughs> they did a great job. So what we all have to do is uh, heed the fact that there are many, many of these great stories about the Salvation Army. Uh, Thank you, uh, Nancy, for relating your personal experience. Uh, I remember your mother having told me of her and her family's experiences with the Salvation Army in Greenpoint. They were living down on Manhattan Avenue off Norman Avenue. Uh, Salvation Army was not trying to recruit them. They were Roman Catholics. They were just trying to help them. Uh, They were doing selfless service. In their eyes, they were doing God's work as Christian soldiers, as salvationists. And now they're under broad-based attack. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Dave down the Jersey Shore in Manalapan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. Curtis, you do great work. I met you one day in New York City. You were very polite to me. I couldn't believe uh, you were right in front of me. I, I called out to you, and uh, I was kind of starstruck. I couldn't believe I was, I was standing right in front of you talking to you, but you were very nice. Um, unfortunately, uh, these organizations, Red Cross and um, Salvation Army, they're, they're different organizations from many years ago. Uh, I got help from Red Cross about 20 years ago. They were very good. Uh, this uh, this past storm, not so much. Um, I got a little bit of money help, and really that's it. The Salvation Army didn't help me at all. I left several messages. They would not help me. So uh, I think they took a big-time left turn where they are focused on helping illegal aliens, in this, at least in New Jersey they are. Um, you're an illegal alien. You go there. You get it. They roll out the red carpet for you. You're an American citizen. Nah, not so much. Wasn't seeing it. Uh, and I, I went there in person. They, they weren't helping me. They weren't going to meaningless help. Some meaningless help of, you know, food, a little bit of food. I didn't take it. Uh, offered a, a shelter somewhere. Uh, I was, was going to do that with the COVID. So, yeah, they, they definitely have changed. I used to donate to their little kettles all the time. And after I'm hearing this again, and no more now, not a dime I'll donate to, to either organization. So 
Now, Thanks for the time. Could you explain to me what the nature of the, your problem was, if you would, and, and uh, what they wouldn't help you with? Ah, would have been nice to hear from that. He was our first negative uh, caller about the Salvation Army, but he also did lambaste the American Red Cross. I find that when I'm at these emergency situations, like there could have been a fire, caused people to be homeless. You know, the Red Cross is there. They're always doing their thing. They seem to get far more attention. They seem to seek out more attention. I understand as an organization, uh, you're trying to compete and get funds. But I never got a sense of the Salvation Army that they were like that. They would show up regardless, whether there was good attention, whether it was bad attention. Uh, They would just show up. Anyway, our number's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. That's right. This is The Other Side of Midnight. As you know, Frank Morano, who normally hosts this time spot as part of the varsity here at WABC, five uh, mornings a week from 1 to 5, followed then uh, by two mornings of the JV, who holds uh, my jockstrap, Frankie Russo. He's uh, he's on a learning curve. He'll get there. Uh, some positive things about both he as a broadcaster and his uh, callers, his many callers, who my own wife acknowledges are very entertaining. But we're talking about how the Salvation Army is under siege and how it's all part of this uh, new jack way of turning heroes into zeros. We've seen they've done that. They've done that to the police. They've done that to our health care workers. They're doing it incredibly to people because you can get that uh, Internet. And you know what happens? You post something like they did on the Daily Call about an internal memo that the Salvation Army had put out to its membership where some members were questioning its whiteness, uh, why they hadn't acknowledged uh, uh, white hate that existed in prior decades internally and externally. And then all of a sudden, the Daily Call publishes an internal memo that was not accepted as dogma by the Salvation Army in 135 uh, uh, places around the world. And now they're getting slammed where people are saying they're not going to give them their annual donation to the Red Kettle. I mean, this is the time of year, the drive that they raise that money in the Red Kettles while they're clanging their bell from coast to coast. And it's all being jeopardized. Let's go to Ralph uh, calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ralph. You know, I do have some encounter with the Salvation Army, and they are an honorable group, okay, Uh, out here in South Jersey, the Red Bank area. And you characterize them as anti-white. I I don't look at it that way. They are more like, you know, white girl. They are white girl. And... uh, you know, for that reason, I, if I have to choose between the, uh, the Catholic Charities and Salvation Army, I would rather give money to uh, the Catholic Charities than them. Uh, but I have to a question to ask you, uh, Cortez, okay? regarding some of the uh, the verbiage you use on the airwave. Combata in chief and Mama Lok, what's the difference between those two terms? Okay, a Kumbata Chich. I refer to uh, my long-term friend and mentor, Rudy Giuliani, as my kumbadichich. What that means is we are not blood relatives, 
But we are so close that if uh, a gun were aimed at him, I would stand in front of him and take the bullet. Uh, that's uh, as close as you can get without being a blood relative, my Kumbaricic. And then what was the other phrase uh, that you wanted, a mamaluk? Uh, ma- 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 mamaluk. I believe the Hebrew is the derivation of that word. It's, it's derived from a Hebrew word, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I just know it from the uh, Italian sense. Like Frank Morano, he's a classic mamaluk. He was a mama's boy until he discovered Rachel. They fell in love. They got married. They now obviously have produced a son, Carmine. They say is 6.2 pounds. I looked at the photos. We're talking at least uh, close to 13 pounds here. Okay. So can, can, I, can we consider I, – I, I do not consider the sitting governor of uh, New Jersey as a combatant in chief, not in any way, shape, or form. He's more of a mama, look, Okay. With regard to Eric Adams, only time would tell whether that man would turn out into either a mamaluke or a combatant in chief. What do you think, Cortez? Uh, the jury's still out. <laughs> the jury's still out on Mayor-elect Eric Adams. Uh, he's uh, saying all the right things now. But in the next hour, we're going to talk about bail reform and how he has done the chicken dance with that. And there are a lot of things I'm going to convey to you because, again, this is my sweet spot. This is uh, my field of expertise that I know as well, if not better, than most. Uh, and why it is my job to convey it to all of you as this this debate gets heated up across the nation about no bail. New Jersey, where it was started two years prior to New York and the problems we've had with it throughout New York. You'll learn a lot before the news is given to you at 5 o'clock by Jet Set Juliet, and then the boys return. Bernard McGurk, who is away in the Irish Alps uh, for the Thanksgiving holiday with his family and friends, and Sid Rosenberg, who is just a few miles away in Sullivan County, the Catskills, in the Jewish Himalayas. Anyway, let's go to James, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, James. Yes, Curtis. Uh, because of 10 cases of this new uh, uh, virus mutation, the Omicron, in Botswana and in South Africa, uh, the WHO has declared a global emergency. Our, our own Governor Hochul now has come out with the Executive Order 11, uh, empowering her to take uh, control in the economy. I imagine there will be further lockdowns, uh, shutdown in the economy. And, and I guess this is where the uh, the Salvation Army and the Red Cross and Catholic Charities got to come in because you're going to have people needing help. How, how are we going to pay our rent? We're going to find ourselves out on the street. Uh, and these proposed tweaked vaccines, they, the shots in the arm, there's a doctor, Dr. Susharit Bakhti, who comes out and says they, they, they don't help with the mucosal and respiratory tract infection that is very immediate. And uh, there will just be a, a, a succession of boosters that will be required. And well, well, that's, uh, that's what we plan on talking about tomorrow on the other side of midnight extensively. You're right, Governor Hochul has declared a state of emergency in New York State. There will be no elective surgeries because of a nursing shortage. I believe because uh, she's imposed those mandates on health care workers and quite a few uh, have been fired as a result since they won't take the shot. It's working quite well, getting tested once a week, 
also being masked up all the time. But no, she insisted they had to be inoculated with the vaccine. And we now no longer have enough nurses and skilled healthcare technicians to deal with the hospitals. That's why this emergency is uh, being declared, not because of the new strain of the South African uh, coronavirus. Uh, let's go to uh, Richard, who's calling from Parsippany. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rich. Yeah, hi, Curtis. Um, uh, why are you shilling for the so-called Salvation Army around this time where they raise money? Let me tell you what I see in the suburbs. I see at shopping center locations poor little elderly men and women who look mentally and physically compromised being forced to stand out in the freezing cold with these stupid pots. As a lawyer, I'm probably going to start prosecuting this, the abuse of these people. And then they're sent. Where do they come from? They're in these places you call shelters, which are nothing more than warehouses where poor people are stuffed into under inhumane conditions. Stop shilling for the Salvation Army. They are a racketeer organization. Need to be federally prosecuted. Need to be federally. And you're bringing your wife in. Who sounds dumb as a rock? Dumb as a rock. What do you have to say for yourself? Well, uh, is that where the phrase, you don't have a pot to pee in, comes? At least they have a pot to pee in if you're not going to let them collect donations. Oh, no, you're going to give me a stupid answer? There are all these nonprofit organizations. All these non Curtis, all these nonprofit organizations are racketeer organizations. The man told you, he called up. He told you, he went to these places, the Red Cross. They gave him some stale bread and told him, yeah, here's where you can go find a shelter. They're racketeering organizations. You're better than this, Curtis. Now, Richard, uh, would you depend on government to provide you with nutrition, sustenance, and shelter if, God forbid, you were ever in that position? Or would you want to depend on the Salvation Army or Red Cross or other nonprofit agencies? (laughs) You can go to the federal government. The federal government is very modern and sufficient. You can get a food stamp card. You get a card. It has money on it. You go to the supermarket like everyone else. Yes, there's no there's no begging. There's no going to places to get little hands out to to humiliate you. You can get a food stamp card, a snap can, a snap card. But Richard, uh, imagine if uh, you were in the situation that you required a snap card. They put your photo on the card. The cashiers never check it. It could be a woman. Uh, using your snap card. I mean, you realize all the corruption that's involved with the snap cards now? No, I don't. No, there's no photo on the card. Yes, there is. No, there's not. Yes, there is. No, there's not. Yes, there is, <laughs> there is. Richard. <laughs> there is. Maybe in New York. Oh, Maybe oh, in New York. Oh, only New York, right? Not in New Jersey, right? Not in Parsippany. That was the whole point. They would put a picture on there. So if you were given a snap card, unlike the old food stamps, which were just coupons, that they could actually Mm -hmm. see that the receiver is uh, Louise Schultz and not uh, Freddie Graham. And Freddie Graham comes in and the cashiers, they don't care. As long as they get the uh, whatever's left on the debit card, the snap card. See, you learn something now. You're talking about some kind of scams that go on in New York City. You get a card. It's the same thing as like a credit card or any other card. It's a debit card. You go to the terminal. You put it in there. You slide it. You put it in there. Nobody even sees it. You push the button and you pay. And you go and you go to the supermarket. 
just like everyone else. You don't go to some, you don't go through some abnormal procedure where you're humiliated. This, it, it's a scam. Let's get back. But let's get back Richard, to my I, main I thing. trust the we Salvation Army and the Red Cross more than I trust our federal government. Come on. Wrong. You're wrong. It's a racketeering organization. Let me tell you about these poor little people that they have standing outside in the freezing cold with these pots. This is abuse of these people. Where do they get these people, Curtis? Find out where they get these people. They have them. On, they probably living in some kind of congregate homes where they have like seven in a bedroom. And, and they tell them today, people, you're going to go out and stand outside with the pots. And these poor little, poor little people are sent out there. Investigate that, Curtis. I'm telling you, Curtis, you are better than this. Find out where these people are coming from and how they're being used as slaves to go collect money. And where does that money go? They don't give out money. They don't give out money to anybody. They pay themselves multi-million dollar salaries. Find out about that. I uh, want you to find uh, out Richard, about we, that, we, Mayor. He just told you a few different stories. God, he's like the Grinch that stole Christmas, isn't he? Uh, let's go to Jeannie in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jeannie. Hi, Curtis. Thanks for letting me speak a second time. I want to stand up for the Salvation Army. Um, several years ago, I was in difficulty, and I really needed help, and they helped me, and I needed food. They gave me food, and they have pantries, and they also have a place where you can actually go for a dinner. Like on Thanksgiving, they had a fantastic meal in the main place in Manhattan, and they were so kind and gracious. They had people serving the food. They would talk to you. There was a place where you could get clothing in a separate room if you needed anything. They gave out socks to people because people usually need that if they're homeless. It's really hard to walk around with that. Why, why do you socks. think, uh, Jeannie, why do you think that Richard from Parsippany was so vicious towards the Salvation Army? I don't know, except I want to tell him, if you think that SNAP doesn't have difficult procedures, you don't know. And there is a picture on the card. The, it's very difficult to deal with government agencies. Well, see, he, he says that's just <laughs> in New York City. You're, you're from Brooklyn. So he's claiming the SNAP card only has pictures in New York City, but not in Parsippany. Heavens to Betsy, no. Boy, he really hated the Salvation Army, Jeannie. An impression of them, and I think he's very wrong. And I think it's very hard to deal with any agency, Medicaid, food snips. It's so, if you're lucky, you get someone who'll talk to you like a normal human being. Talk about being put down and well, being well, difficult. Well, imagine he trusts the federal government. <laughs> I don't care who's in charge, Republicans or Democrats. I don't trust government. I trust the Salvation Army and the American Red Cross. Let's go to Patricia calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Patricia. Hi. Um, I volunteered for the Salvation Army in Staten Island, and all the good they do, he doesn't know because he's never been involved there. I'm sure he's never gone to the soup kitchens there. He doesn't know all the benefits that they wreak. If anybody comes in and they give them a meal, they give them stuff to take with them. They'll help them get furniture. They'll give them vouchers. They have summer camps for the kids. There's things that they would never even have. They have, they help the kids learning. They help them get their GEDs. So, this, so, for, so for him to say about the government, if nobody's going to lead you to the water, you can't drink. They try to help the kids. You know, some, he, he was quite the curmudgeon, right? You're not kidding. As far as the people of the Red Kettles, hey, there's a lot of people when we volunteered. 
I'm a professional. I go out with the pot. I'm more than happy to. And the people want to do it. It's not that these elderly people, if you see them, some of them have been doing it for 25 years. Yeah, but, you know, it's that old phrase. You don't even have a pot to piss in. I mean, I've heard that a million times. At least they have a red kettle out there. Anyway, when we come back, stay on the line. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. The last hour of the other side of midnight before we turn over the microphone, the 50,000 powerful watts of sound for your hour of news with Jet Set Juliet and then return of Bernie and Sid at 6. But we got to talk about bail reform, things you don't know about New York State's malaise that I'm going to reveal to you for the very first time. By the way, the Silvertones classic was purloined from me by Frank Morano. When I used to do The Other Side of Midnight, Total Theater of the Mind, following on the heels of some of the greatest overnight broadcasters of all time, Long John Neville on Candy Jones at the old WMCA. I mean, super spectacular. Long John Neville had us believing that Candy Jones was a CIA agent. And then, of course, there was Alan B. Combs, one of the great, greatest masters of providing theater of the mind. He wasn't political at night when he did overnights here at ABC. He was absolutely amazing and oftentimes with the aid of Alan Abel, who was one of the greatest tricksters, hoaxers of all times, would create such masterful It wasn't like master theater. No, masterful presentations in which you could max and relax at home. You were perpendicular to the ground. But, oh, Alan B. Combs could paint pictures. He was sardonic. He was a satirist. Dry sense of humor. And would never break into a laugh, even though he knew it was funny. And he probably had a belly laugh. Uh, we lost a great one at too young of an age, Alan B. Combs. And, of course, Art Bell, that loony kazuni from Parts Unknown, uh, who uh, from coast to coast, I mean, <laughs> almost every AM station would have Art Bell. And, boy, I had my wars uh, with Art Bell before 9-11. I actually declared a radio jihad against him because I used to be on before Art Bell. And then all of a sudden, Phil Boyce, who was our program director, said, he's doing so well with taking an hour from you. What? I said, wait a second. That's Sabatucci. You're taking an hour from me? And I launched a radio jihad. I would break into his programs. I would go to our stick to 50,000 pound for watts of sound in Lodi, New Jersey, next to the Jiggle Wiggle shop. You know what it's called. Bada bing from the Sopranos. What, satin dolls now? That's where our engineers are always hanging out, knocking back a few. You know, probably getting a few lap dances along the way, telling us, oh, how hard they work. You know, adjusting the tower there in Lodi. He used to break into the pillbox, interfere with his show, and then do exorcisms of his outraged callers. 
But you see, Art Bell, who had grown up in Patterson, New Jersey, son of a building superintendent, would lay up on the tar roof at night. We used to call it a tar beach back when I grew up. And listen on his transistor radio to Long John Nebel and Candy Jones. That's how he developed his style. And then I had my shot at doing overnight radio. Theater of the mind. And now Frank Murano has inherited this mantle. It's so many special people have dominated the airwaves. Remember, at night, this is the most powerful station in the nation. 38 states, parts of Canada, and it's heard in the Bermuda Triangle before boats go down to Davy Jones's locker. That's how strong this signal is. And all of it provided to you by John Katsimatidis and Margot Katsimatidis, owner and operators of Red Apple Media, a great broadcaster in his own right, John is. And obviously owners, they saved the iconic call letters of WABC which was number one when we were spinning stacks of wax. It's our 100th anniversary. And number one is the news talk station in America now. Notice that all happened after I left to run for mayor. Now all of a sudden we're number one. Is that is that suggesting that maybe the station has done better in the ratings without me than with me? We'll soon find out. But Frank Morano, as you know, cannot be here. He has taken paternity leave. Because his uh, his wife, Rachel, birthed what I believe is a 13-pound son named Carmine with the help, with the help of uh, a 92-year-old nun, the midwife, on loan from Mount Laredo, uh, and an OBGNY nurse who acted more like Nurse Ratchet in the delivery room. They actually used a tub. The kid was so big. And they're in a, uh, encased now in a bubble in Richmond County Hospital. Because, you know, with coronavirus and now this new variant, uh, you know, it's often been said, and it's so true, the doctor says, if you're going in for a procedure, although you're not going to be able to go in for an elective procedure in New York State because Hochul has declared an emergency, a state of emergency because of this new variant. But you know how the doctors always tell, get the hell out of the hospital as quick as you can because you probably get sicker being in the hospital than you were being admitted into the hospital, which is so true having been into the hospital so many times myself. Now, I want to talk about bail reform and no bail, which, as you see, is an inter is a issue around the country. Look at what happened in Waukesaw when that uh, nut job, Brooks, got into his red SUV and plowed in to all those people parading their annual Christmas parade in downtown Waukesaw. It's only a town of 75,000 in Wisconsin, not far from Kenosha, which, as you know, was the scene and the focus of the trial that exonerated the young man with the AR-15, not far from Milwaukee, where the king of beers is brewed, Miller High Life, not far from Madison, not far from Shaita. But it turned out that Brooks had been uh, released so many times on bail, $1,000 bail just recently by the county prosecutor, a real DSA guy, after he had tried to run over his old lady in a domestic, a domestic dispute. He tried to run over his own old lady, wifey, whatever he wants to call her, with that same red SUV, and then was released on a $1,000 bail that his mommy put up in Milwaukee 
only freed him so he could go out and plow through that Christmas Day parade. So it's put no bail, no cash bail back on the radar screen nationally, but it's of serious consequences here in New York State. And today is the day we're going to find out if pretty boy Tom Swazi, former county executive in Nassau, who lost to a Republican only to come back in Congress and win three terms in office, will be announcing for a run for the Democratic nomination to take on Governor Hochul, Tish James, and Jumani Williams, who it is revealed in today's New York Post. Great article by Julia Marsh, although I've been saying this for months, but thank God someone finally printed it, the New York Post, that Jumani Williams, right, I mean, an acolyte of AOC, all-out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors, a man who believes in not only defunding the police, eliminating the police, eliminating prisons, eliminating uh, school safety officers, taking the metal detectors out of schools, that it turns out that this sanctimonious hypocrite, that's why we got to support Eric Adams. If anything happens to Eric Adams, God forbid, you know who becomes mayor? The public advocate, Jumani Williams. Oh, my God. But anyway, let's get back to the subject of Julia Marsh's piece in the New York Post, something I've been saying for months. She followed up on it, thank God. And it turns out, like I said, that Jumani Williams, out of all the places he could live in the five boroughs, lives in the active garrison of Fort Hamilton, in the shadow of the Verrazano Bridge, where Bay Ridge meets Stiker Heights. He lives on the military base. Every day when he goes in, chauffeured in his SUV that we provide to him, a sucker taxpayers, with the armed police officer contingent of the very NYPD that he has wanted to defund and successfully did so to the tune of a billion dollars. Yet he has armed security by the NYPD 24-7-365. When he goes home to his house on the army base, an active garrison, he has to show his ID because the military police will not give him access, even though they know who Jumani Williams is. Now, why the hell is he living on a military base? A man of the peeps. Maybe he's chicken to be out in the streets. Maybe he's not a man of the peeps. Or, as I have said before in my conversation with Rudy Giuliani on this very subject before I ran for mayor on these airwaves, when I was doing the handoff to Rudy Giuliani, who, as you know, came on after me. I was on 12 to 3, then Rudy. I said, Rudy, when you were U.S. attorney for the Southern District and you were prosecuting all those mobsters choking on their lobsters, remember, he took out the five heads of organized crime. Nobody has been a better organized crime buster than Rudy Giuliani. I said, did, did you sometimes use confidential informants? He said, yeah. I said, come on, be honest, Rudy. You house them at uh, on the garrison in Fort Hamilton, the active military brace, right, For so you could keep an eye on them, and they were safe and secure. And he laughed. He laughed. I said, do you think that Jumani Williams might be a confidential informer, huh? And Rudy had a big belly laugh. He says, I'm not at liberty to say. So now that it's out, and this guy wants to be the next governor over my dead body to win first the Democratic nomination against Hochul, who he almost beat for the lieutenant governor nod when Cuomo clobbered Cynthia Nixon. He's running. Hochul's running. Tish James is running. 
And uh, maybe Swazi, pretty boy Swazi will run. Now, if Swazi does announce that he's running for governor today, he would probably take votes away from Hochul, which would benefit Tish James in her battle. Uh, also, Swazi said that he wouldn't be deputy mayor for his friend, Eric Adams. Eric Adams had said, could you serve as deputy mayor? <laughs> he knew the history of Herman Badillo, the, the first Puerto Rican congressman who left Congress to be the deputy mayor for Ed Koch when he first got elected mayor, only to be fired by Ed Koch, kicked out of his car a few months later. He was congressman. He became a deputy mayor. Only to be fired by Ed Koch. Reminds me of when Guy Molinari was congressman for Staten Island. And then left being congressman, one of the most powerful congressmen on the Hill to run for borough president in Staten Island because the big issue was the state prison right on the North Shore when Lombardi was the uh, Democratic borough president and Guy beat him on that issue. I mean, why would you leave Congress to run for borough president? Or to be a deputy mayor. Well, I never thought Swazi would think of that seriously. So pretty boy Tom Swazi is going to announce his plans, whether he's running for the governorship on the Democratic line in the primary. I think he is. I think there's a deal here with Tish James. Because Hochul is so ahead in the polls. A poll that was released by the New York Post, Carl Campanelli in today's paper, uh, by Rob Cole, who was the pollster that said that Hochul is running away from the field, the Democratic field. And she is, because she's like lens light. She's everywhere. I, I don't think she's been anywhere else in the state. She seems to be living in New York City, because you gotta, you got you to gotta do well in New York City if you're going to win in the state of New York, especially as a Democrat. And polling-wise, she's doing well. But if, if all of a sudden Pretty Boy Swazi jumps in, because part of his congressional district, a smaller part is in Queens, the rest is in Nassau, I think Slid is up to something. He could take votes away from Hochul. And then, of course, it's <laughs> Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Soul, who probably was separating the seeds and the stems from his Maui Waui and Hindu Kush last night as he was packing it into a blunt, a cigar, and going puff, puff, pass with his wife Charlene on the back porch of Gracie Mansion, as he oftentimes does. In the New York Post, also over the weekend, the lead story was that he had had a sit-down with uh, our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, and uh, Mealy, a friend of his, both of them Greek-Americans, in which he was asking advice like, what should he do? Should he run for governor? Uh, and by the way, would they be willing to contribute to his effort? Uh, I don't know what the advice was about what he should do with his life now, but I have a feeling that they did not, didn't write out any checks to Bill de Blasio. Remember when he went off on that Don Quixote uh, exodus from New York City for four months when he thought he could become the Democratic nominee to become the next president of the United States and run against President Donald Trump. Remember how delusional he was out there in the cornfields with the scarecrows in Iowa where there are more pigs than people in South Carolina at fish fries in Nevada with degenerate gamblers? And I think the other place he was, I'm not quite sure. Well, we'll forget about the fourth place. It didn't matter. <laughs> He got he got whacked, but the four months he was away, New York City was run better in those four months by all four of his deputy mayors than when he was here. My attitude was, knock yourself out. Go ahead, stay out there. 
Go through the campaign, even when Joe Biden was starting to be elevated against Bernie, the Altacaca Sanders, and the rest, Pamela Harris, and the rest of the candidates, Buttigieg, 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 who's on perpetual paternity leave, you know, like Frankie Morano now. Watch him milk the system now. Watch him. Watch six months from now. Oh, I got I to gotta help Rachel with my 26-pound kid. Carmine, by then, he will have doubled his weight to 26 pounds. I'm telling you. And now we have the issue that could destroy the Democratic Party statewide and should. First of all, they have super majorities in the state Senate. That's a double UFA. They have a super majority in the state assembly. And they have a lock on the governorship right now. If the over-under point spread is, if Hochul can hold that Democratic primary uh, lead in the polls, she might well be the next uh, governor beating uh, Zeldin, the congressman from Long Island, or Andrew Giuliani, son of Rudy Giuliani, or Astorino, Rob Astorino, former Westchester County executive. Those are the three Republicans who uh, have to get through their convention process in late uh, late January, and then the petitioning. And I think the polls indicate right now if the uh, primary were held tomorrow, Andrew Giuliani would win. Oh, yeah, he's a good retailer, man. Uh, Andrew sees a crowd. He's actually better than his daddy was because I was campaigning with his daddy twice when he ran against Dinkins, the first time when he lost and the second time when he barely won. Andrew Giuliani treats a retail crowd like it's a mosh pit. He sees them, he dives into them, he's shaking hands, he's backslapping, he's loud, he's gregarious, he's charismatic, and he'll get onto a car hood and dive into the crowd. I kid you not. And they love that. It's like when he was a kid. I remember, remember when, when Rudy was inaugurated down at City Hall? Uh, to the detriment of most of the Democrats, uh, although they were invited to attend. You think Eric Adams is going to invite me to his inauguration at City Hall? Come on. With Comrade de Blasio sitting next to him, not a shot in hell. But any Rudy, Rudy had invited David Dinkins, who he had beaten fair and square. And I remember, while he was giving his inauguration speech, there was Andrew Giuliani, all sugared up. No doubt he had uh, good and plenty, plenty good. He probably ate a five-pound bag of Domino sugar that morning, and he was bouncing all over. He was climbing up on the podium. You couldn't stop that kid. Well, you know what? He's much older now, and he's all turbocharged. I mean, I saw him in Bensonhurst on 18th Avenue when I was campaigning for mayor. He's campaigning for governor. And Italy beat Team England, you know, in soccer, which I hate. That fake, phony, fraudulent football they spell with a U. Kickball, kickball, kickball. Well, anyway, Andrew Giuliani loves that stuff. I just went there because that's where all the Italians or wannabe Italians were. A lot of wannabe Italians. Oh, yeah, Italy, Italia, Italia. So I'm walking up and down, and I'm meeting and greeting people except for all the organized crime guys. Now, Andrew, a little naive. They give him the microphone on the stage. It's all run by the Gambino crime family. I recognize these guys because they tried to kill me. And they're like, oh, Giuliani, you're the best. And I'm like, ready to say, Angel, do you realize your father put away half of these guys? Why are they even out? They got paroled out, but didn't matter because Italia won, Italia. He jumped off that stage as they were shooting off champagne. He dived into the crowd. It's lucky those Supreme Cousines caught him. 
Because he would have hit the asphalt, and I guarantee you he would have bounced right off the asphalt, and he would have keep going, high-fiving through the crowd with the Supreme Cuchinets and the Supreme Cuchines. I said, I can't keep up with this kid. And let's face it, I got energy like the Energizer Bunny. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. When we come back, I'm going to break it down for you. Mayor-elect Eric Adams has said all the right things so far. I'm supporting him because, look, uh, even Zippy the Chimp, if he had been elected mayor, could do a better job. I could have done a better job than outgoing Comrade de Blasio, who has single-handedly destroyed the city that we love. we got to support Eric Adams. He's got to save our city. But he's vacillating on this no-bail issue. Uh, he was on The View, the Henkluck, you know, with the Whoopster and Joyless Behar and the rest of them. And he was uh, doing the chicken dance. I'll explain what that is up next. All of this about the no-bail situation in New York State. This is the other side of midnight as we wind up towards the 5 o'clock hour. And then Jet Set Juliet will we'll be giving you all the news. And then it's the return of Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenbaum. Back from the Irish Alps, the Jewish Himalayas, uh, yeah, that's the Catskills in Sullivan County, where they've been there with their families and friends for the extended Tom Turkey holiday. So we're back on track, normal schedule. And Frank Morano, who normally is the host here, part of the varsity team, on the other side of midnight, five mornings a week, as opposed to Frankie Russo, who takes up the rear as the JV member two mornings a week. He's out on paternity leave because his wife, Rachel, just brought into the world Carmine, uh, who I say is 13 pounds. Uh, They claim is 6.2 pounds. Phenomena. They did Photoshopping on those photos. And I know that Frankie's going to try to milk the system like so many guys do now with this paternity leave. Like Boudicier, 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 the transportation uh, uh, secretary. Uh, with uh, backlogs, we don't have supplies, uh, ships are out in the Pacific trying to come to port in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Seattle. And Boudicier, 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 well, he's got to be on paternity leave. I'm telling you, they know how to game the system. And I think Frankie's, uh, Frank Morano is going to be learning from Boudicier. Anyway, let's go to Joe, patiently waiting on the line in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at Hi. WABC, Joe. Hi. Uh, uh, Curtis, I have uh, one quick uh, point, uh, maybe two if you don't mind. The quick point regarding uh, his son, Mr. Morano, congratulations to him. Uh, he underwent circumcision. So from 13 pounds, he might have lost about maybe eight ounces. So he's 12 and a half pounds now. As far as... <laughs> How can he submit him to circumcision? That's like no. torture for the, the the young the young child, right? I mean, Andrew Yang is going to be very upset. You know, he was opposed to circumcision. Okay, since time immemorial, you know, that has been the biggest debate as far as a uh, male uh, child being born, whether to do it or not. Of course, the Muslims do it. Certain Muslims have stopped doing it, you know, who are more modernized. Even Jews have stopped doing it. Certain Jews. Well, you know, well this, is, this is what I would have well, done. My, the this reason is, why I'm calling. Joe, this is what I would have done. I would have had the moil show up, have Rabbi Joe Potashnik that you can hear on uh, Sunday mornings here with uh, Reverend Bernard. 
uh, have him uh, appropriate a moil, blindfold moil, give him a Rambo knife, and let him administer the circumcision. That's torturous, right? I know, I know. My two youngest sons were raised Jewish, Carter and Hunter. They they were circumcised much later, I might add, when you could really feel it. But I don't know. You know according to Andrew Yang, I, I recently had a sit-down with him. He is uh, he is not, not at all in favor of circumcision. He must have had a bad circumcision, you think? You know, I didn't get that personal with him, but... Maybe. Anyway, let's go to Pete in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pete. Hey, Curtis. I had to call back after that lawyer. Your wife was eloquent on the phone and to come out and speak the way she did. And what I'm going to try to do, I can't promise you because i got to meet with the other promoters like Anthony from uh, from Moldy's Pizza. All right. And uh, other support, other people that are... I want to support this uh, boxing match. I'm going to try to donate at least 10 to 20% of the gate for this, uh, for the Salvation Army because we're going to do it for the police and firemen, for the widows, fun, and orphans. With Madonna, my, my. You're going to have this charity boxing match between Frankie Russo, who couldn't even fight his way through a wet paper bag, me with a broken elbow. I could still jab this guy like there's no tomorrow. I'd hit him so hard his mother will feel the vibrations. But see this guy, Pete, he's a good supporter of the Salvation Army, but he's intent. He's overloading this this charity boxing match. The Firefighters Widows Fund, the Police Officer Widows Fund, the Salvation Army. Stick to one cause. They're all great causes. Anyway, let's go to Charlie calling from Hell's Kitchen. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Charlie. Hey, good evening, Curtis. Three quick questions, three quick things. Points. First of all, I voted for you. I'm sorry you didn't win. Second of all, I heard on the news that they caught that guy who killed the Asian woman, the elderly Asian woman, pulled her down the steps. Is that true? Did they catch the guy or no? Yes, finally, uh, we had been distributing uh, the actual photographs of this guy uh, who uh, the woman was from Burma. Uh, she had struggled to get here because, you know, that's a totalitarian backwards regime. She came here with her son. She was walking uh, up the steps at the Canal Street station off of Broadway. And this uh, monster grabbed the backpack of her son, which entangled her. She fell down the steps, smashing her head. Uh, he, she had all kinds of swelling on the brain. And then eventually they had to pull the plug at Bellevue. Uh, and it's like many stories. It's a crime committed. They knew who the guy was. We were distributing photographs in the area, real photographs, not sketches. And it took them to now to make the arrest because a lot of people don't realize, but through the defunding of the police by Mayor de Blasio and the city council, taking a billion dollars out of the budget because of retirements, normal retirements and early retirements, we went from a NYPD detective squad that was 7,500 in total down to 5,500 in total. That's why these cases are being solved so slowly. In fact, there was an arrest made of another egregious case right then on St. John's Place off of um, Utica Avenue in Crown Heights, right on the border as you approach Brownsville. Here was a Haitian mother coming home late at night, home health care aide. One son here, her other three children back in uh, Port-au-Prince. 
and there's two gangs having a shootout right there on St. John's Place. She gets uh, clipped twice in the chest. She dies. A picture uh, surfaces of the suspect, lifetime gangbanger who had just been paroled out of prison. And they just now caught him months later. And again, not because they're not hardworking detectives in the NYPD, but when you go from 7,500 because of retirements and early retirements down to 5,500 with all these backloads uh, and caseloads, this may take them a month of Sundays to catch up. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Ron calling all the way from Michigan. Uh, which part of Michigan, Ron? Berrien Springs. It's uh, like uh, 30 miles from South Bend, Indiana. Uh, not far from the land of Buttigieg, 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 who was the mayor there in South Bend, right? That's correct. And also, uh, this is where Al Capone had his farm. That's in, uh, right. Time. And do you know you know who his accountant was in Cicero? Because my father was from Chicago. He, he brought me up on Al Capone. It was Greasy Thumbs Gusick. Jake, Jake Greasy Thumb Gusick, right. Right. And the reason they called him Greasy Thumb, he kept two sets of books, one for the government and one for Capone. And you could tell because he would have these uh, uh, big boys, you know, the Polish sausages, all greasy. And he would get the grease all over the paperwork in the two sets of books that he kept. And that's how they knew. They didn't need fingerprints because they knew it was the books kept by Greasy Thumb Gusick. I heard that he had the Greasy Thumb because he counted so fast and never made a mistake. <laughs> you better believe five for Capone, one for me, right? Typical accountant. Absolutely. But now, how are but you anyway- listening to us here? You guys come in pretty good, real real good sometimes. Like right now, you're as clear as a bell. Yeah, now see, as our owner-operator, John Katsimidhidis, has said, proof in advertising, we are heard in 38 states and parts of Canada overnight and in the Bermuda Triangle where many a ship has gone down to Davy Jones's locker while listening to WABC. Yes, but anyway, Curtis, I got a, I got a circumcision story for you. These two guys are at the temple, right? And they're using a the urinal. And one guy says to the other, he says, hey, was your moil Harvey Weinstein? The guy says, yeah. He cuts with a bias to the left. He says, yeah. He says, why? Because you're peeing on my shoe. <laughs> oh. God, he's no Pat Cooper. Whatever happened to Pat Cooper? Great, great Italian comedian. Used to compete with all the Jewish comedians from the Borscht Belt. And I'm telling you, boy, a bunch of them would get up on the stage. And I remember one time we were at a benefit, and Pat Cooper said to me, watch, watch, these guys from the Bush Belt, they're going to be stealing my lines. I said, what are you talking about? Come on, Pat. You're paranoid. He said, no, watch. Pat's up there. He's riffing. And these Jewish comedians from the Bush Belt, they took them napkins, and they were writing down some of his lines. Let me tell you something. That Pat Cooper, amazing. I know he's in his 90s now. I think he's in Vegas. He, he married a woman younger than my wife, Nancy. I still don't know how old she is. Uh, but it's kept him young and springy. And, boy, the guy is sharp as a tack in his 90s. Last time I saw him was on the A-train platform. He gets on the A-train. We're going uptown. And he's trying out his new lines on the focus group. Everybody that was in the train. And they had these belly laughs. Notice, I haven't gotten to my story about the lack of any bail in New York State and all the problems that it has created. Well, let me let me update you. 
As you know, Eric Adams, the mayor-elect, the guy that I'm telling all of you, give him a chance. He can only do a better job than Comrade de Blasio, who single-handedly took a Miley Cyrus wrecking ball and destroyed this city that we love. Had said that he would travel to Albany. He had originally served in the state Senate. He knows many of those Democrats in the supermajority, both in the state Senate and in the supermajority in the state assembly. And he would lobby them and Governor Hochul, the new governor, to make changes in the no-bail situation in New York State that has led to so many outrages in the criminal justice system. Uh, I mean, we're talking serious criminals. People with guns, people with shotguns, people who have shot people, people who have committed sexual assault, rape, all kinds of things being released because... Now, this is the bottom line. Uh, hopefully, Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg are listening on the way in to resuming their shift at 6 to 10, because they talk about this often. There are 50 states in America, right? 50 states. Some are red, some are blue, some are very liberal, some are very conservative. Out of the 50 states, 49 states, 49 states have as a reason that a judge can give bail, uh, the fear that they're a flight risk, that's always been the number one concern. And secondarily, that there is a danger to the community posed by this individual. 49 of the states. Which is the only state, do you think, that only has flight risk as a reason that you would impose bail? Only flight risk does not have stipulated that this suspect is a danger to the community. Never mind, I would add a third reason, a danger to themselves, which would cause a knee-jerk reaction to get this suspect a psych observation first and then have him come back in front of the judge for further dispensation. Which state out of the 50 states, the only state that does not have danger to the community as a reason for remanding a thug or thugette to jail and requiring bail. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Creeping up on the 5 o'clock hour, Jet Set Juliet will give you all the news. And then the boys are back. Starting at 6, Bernard McGurk, Sid Rosenberg. Bernard was up in the Irish Alps with his family and friends. Sid Rosenberg a few miles away in the Jewish Himalayas. Yeah, Sullivan County, the Catskills, up Route 19. You know the rest. Is that 19 or 17? I don't know. But anyway, we're back on track. The normal schedule will be in full effect now that we've gotten through Thanksgiving. But I'm uh, kicking you some knowledge about the no-bail situation in New York State. So uh, Mayor-elect Eric Adams was going to challenge that in Albany amongst his many friends and colleagues in the Democratic uh, majority, as I said, the supermajority in the state Senate, the supermajority in the state assembly, and naturally uh, the new Democratic governor, Governor Hochul. And he would have been a powerful voice to try to get that amended, but nah, nah. You see, right away Cousins, who is uh, the majority leader of the Democrats, the supermajority in the Senate, said, hell no, you ain't doing that. Cousins, who is from Westchester, Yonkers. And Carl Hasty, who is the Speaker of the Assembly, said, no, you ain't doing that. 
and then the assistant to uh, Cousins in the state Senate, Utraditor, Michael Gennaris, who had been raised by the Vallone family. I mean, politically raised by the Vallone family in Astoria, and then realized once the Vallone legacy was over that AOC, all-out crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors, who had their headquarters right in Astoria, were a threat to him remaining state senator. So what happened? He flipped the script, and he went all left. All Democratic Socialists of America left. A total outraditor to his Greek ancestry, and more importantly, to the traditions of the Vallone family, Peter Vallone Sr. and Jr., and the rest of the Valones. But anyway, so he took umbrage and he said, mind your own business, Eric Adams. Eric Adams, who had actually gone on The View the other day with the Whoopster and Joyless Behar, and amended that statement and said instead he is going to appoint rough and tough municipal judges because a mayor can appoint judges. Uh, but they're low level, civil court judges, criminal court judges, housing court judges. It helps. But it ain't going to turn the tide against no bail. And this is the reason. Let me. Can I tell everybody the dirty little secret of what's going on here? Because I know. I know where all the bones are buried and who buried them. Nobody knows more than I do when it comes to these uh, subjects. So you got Cousins from Westchester, Yonkers, who's in charge, the majority leader of the Democrats in the state Senate, Carl Hastie, the Democrat from the Bronx, who is the Speaker of the Assembly. And they don't trust upstate lawyers, upstate lawyers, some of whom, Excuse me, judges, some of whom are not lawyers. You don't have to be a lawyer to be a judge. You don't have to be a lawyer to be appointed to the United States Supreme Court. As you've uh, heard recently, let's say hypothetically, the uh, Republicans win the midterm elections, they're favored to do that, and they were electing a new speaker. It could be somebody who is not in the House of Congress. It could be anybody. You don't have to be a member of Congress to be Speaker of the House. Likewise, you don't have to be a lawyer in order to be a judge. Now, that exists upstate. That's true. Downstate, you can forget about it. Uh, only lawyers. You know, you got to have the Esquire at the end of your name. So they're afraid that upstate judges who are not lawyers a more conservative, a more law and order, would uh, violate the rights of the accused. So they're holding downstate hostage. Because let's face it, downstate, you really have to worry about judges. Of course not. They're all liberal. They're all progressive. They all lean to the left. They're not hang them loose judges of any type. So this whole stalemate, the reason that we are being held hostage originally by the author of the bill, the no-bail bill, Todd Kaminsky and Bernard McGurk did an excellent job encouraging everyone in Nassau County to get rid of this bum who imagine had the chutzpah, the coulions, the hubris to think that he could win as DA in Nassau County. Well, he, he got his, he got it handed to him. He lost mightily and because of him, he took down the Democratic County Executive. Absolutely mind-boggling. So you know Democrats are worried all over the state as we approach the 2022 elections, midterm in the state also, because we're going to elect a governor, uh, attorney general, controller. Uh, The other positions are up for grabs. So, I mean, it 
could definitely boomerang on the Democrats throughout the state and at least encroach upon that supermajority they have. And they're stubborn. They're holding firm. And Eric Adams is not challenging them now. He has done the what I call the chicken dance where he acts like he's going to take them on. And then all of a sudden he backs off and says, well, I'm going to appoint instead rough and tough judges. Hey, I heard him there on the, on the view with the whoopsters and Joyless Behar. Any uh, any point, let's go to the phones, one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Evelyn, who's calling from Bayonne, which is the gateway to the world, Bayonne, New Jersey. Good morning, Curtis. I love you deeply. If I had lived in New York, all my friends and I would have voted five times for you. Now, can I ask you a quick question, Evelyn? Are you a Democrat yes. or Republican? Republican. If you were a Democrat, Evelyn, you could have voted for me five times, six times. It would have all counted. You could have been a Democrat in Anchorage, Alaska and voted for me. But they only let Republicans vote once. Unbelievable. Well, Curtis, I'm calling because I'm very, very pro-police. And I'm so upset over this anti-police movement in this country. December 10th, 2019, two people in a U-Haul van in a cemetery killed a detective. They proceeded, it's all on camera, on YouTube, to um, the corner of Martin Luther King Drive and Bayview Avenue in Jersey City. They got out of the car, a man pulled out a long gun, started firing directly into the deli. Our children, we were under siege for three and a half hours because the police were on our side, on our side of the school, on our side of the block, which is only a matter of feet long. Martin Luther King Drive is a very, very narrow roadway. And Curtis, if it wasn't for the quick action of so many different law enforcement agencies from all over New Jersey came, it would have been a massacre in my school if those people had gotten out of that deli. Yes, in fact, uh, Evelyn, I remember it well because uh, Bernard Carrick, former police commissioner of New York, uh, was busting his buttons and bridges with pride because one of the members of the Newark SWAT team, which uh, helped in that situation, was in fact his son. Uh, as they came to the rescue, Jersey City, obviously, uh, uh, Dermot Shea's uh, brother, who was a former uh, top-ranking uh, police officer in the NYPD, is the public safety director there. They did a magnificent job. Uh, it was the Satmars that started populating that part of Martin Luther King uh, Drive there because uh, the Orthodox were expanding in that area. And the two uh, crazies came in there shooting. Uh, and do you know... Uh, who they were members of? Do you remember which group they were members of? Um, I remember it was, wasn't it a black Hasidic or something, black Jewish group? Uh, black Hebrew Israelites. Remember black Hebrew, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hebrew Israelites yeah. who claim that the only legitimate Jews are blacks and that whites, uh, in fact, are not Jews. Uh, and do you know who was a follower of the black Hebrew Israelites recently who became public enemy number one? Tell me, Curtis. Brooks in Waukesha, Wisconsin, when you look at his postings, he admired what some of the black Hebrew Israelites oh have done uh, around the country. Uh, and he certainly uh, was no lover of white people. So every time you see a group, a sect of black Hebrew Israelites, beware, because it generally means, Evelyn, double trouble there. Uh, oh, Curtis, you amaze me. You amaze me. You truly amaze me with your knowledge. I'm hoping for the day soon when you can write a book. 
Hey, that may that may be that may be coming down the pipe. In fact, Evelyn, I think uh, I have to progressively first write a matchbook. You know, no five dollar words. Then a comic book, right? Obviously, and then a book. Maybe I'll do the paperback first because it's a little easier to to carry instead of the hard uh, hardcover book. And then maybe. Uh, We'll, we'll sell it out in the streets. You know, like guys who would press their own stacks of wax, CDs when they were rappers, and all of a sudden they're selling it out of the trunk of their cars, and before you know it, boom, they're signed to a label, and then they're billionaires extraordinaire. Maybe we'll sell it out of the back of cars. Yeah, you know, give you a decent price on the streets because I'm a street guy. I, I think I could be the, maybe one of the first to ever do that. Anyway, let's go to my uh, namesake, Kurt who's calling from East Haven, Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Kurt. Hey, Curtis, you are doing a fantastic job. I haven't spoken to you since, remember the Barney the Dinosaur at the Thanksgiving Day Parade knocked (laughs) into the lady? (laughs) I hated Barney. If I had a gun, I would have shot Barney. Remember that song? I love you. You love me. We're a dysfunctional family. Anyway, Curtis, can you name your 17 cats? Yes, I can name my 17 rescue cats. First, let me name my sons, all of which uh, watched Barney. There's Anthony, who's 17, Carter, who's 13, and now Hunter, the youngest, is 11. And I had to suffer, suffer, because I'd have to sit there while they were listening to Barney. If I was strapped... If I had a three fifty seven Magnum, I would have blown out the 17-inch big-screen TV with Barney on it. I so <laughs> despise Barney. But anyway, let me go through the cats here, uh, Kurt. First, the biggest cat of all is John Katsimatidis, owner and operator uh, of Red Apple Media that purchased WABC and saved this great, iconic station, the call letters across the nation. Spinning stacks of wax, top 40. We were the number one station in the nation, and then they flipped the script to talk radio. And I see that since I've left, the ratings have skyrocketed, and we are now number one second to none again. Do you think there's a correlation here? That before I left, we weren't number one. All of a sudden, uh, I tried to run and become the mayor of the city of New York to save it. And uh, those that replaced me and other additions that were made, I mean, you get a full lineup now. No complaints. Come on, people. You used to have all informations on the weekend. Remember, you would tune out at, on Friday at night, and you wouldn't tune back until Monday morning because the rest of the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, were all infomercials all the time. And then John Katzenmatidis changed all of that. Now, let's go through my 17 rescue cats. Okay, first, there's the Patriarch Apollo. Then there's the Matriarch Athena. Then there's the Little Big One. Then there's Whiskers. Then there's Love. Then there's uh, Tiny. Then there's It. Yeah, like Cousin It. You remember from the Adams Family, right? Cousin It. 
Then we have Gizmo, who is now the star extraordinaire. Remember, Gizmo was the little kitten, four weeks old, that I tried to bring into the polling location when I was voting for myself, of course, and my wife was running, first time a Republican was running on the Upper West Side to oust uh, Gail Brewer. She failed, but I voted for her and a whole list of other candidates. But they wouldn't let me take little Gizmo into the polling location. And remember, Gizmo was on Stephen Colbert. Gizmo was on All Night Productions. Uh, Gizmo was on Fox News Channel, everywhere you look, the BBC, the CBC. In fact, Gizmo has her own Facebook page, internationally acclaimed. So there we have Gizmo, okay, that's eight. Uh, then we have Hercules, okay, then we have Homer. Uh, then we have, let me see, I'm running out of ten, I got seven more to go. Hey, you know, I'm getting a little mashug, I need my ginkgo. I've been doing nine straight hours of broadcasting. Uh, then we have the mighty one. All right, that's 11. Uh, man, I'm, I'm losing my mind here. I got six more to go, right? You know, I was never really good in arithmetic. Six more to go. Okay, we got Tiger. Uh, we've got, uh, I already said love. I already said whiskers. Uh, there's Moonface. Okay, I'm getting closer, right? I got four more to go. I think five. No, four more to go. All right, and then let's see. I'm, I'm I'm looking at it right now in my mind. Okay, there's oh oh yeah, that's right. Wolverine, Wolverine uh, takes uh, sneezes in and out. Uh, I got thirteen. Got four more to go. There's tuna. Tuna was the star of the uh, political ad that I did for Mayor. Remember the little gray cat who is neurologically impaired. There's my all-time favorite, my best buddy in the whole world. Uh, that's Ajax. So I'm like missing two. Oh, there's Dropfoot who escaped. That's right. Dropfoot escaped. He's somewhere in the alleys on the Upper West Side there. So I see him from time to time. He seems like he wants to get back. So I'm missing one, right? I'm missing one. Anyway, let's go to Bill in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Bill? Hey, Curtis, man. Um, you know, I just wanted to say something important when you were telling that woman. Malcolm X in 1962, he, when they had 12,000 people rallies, the Nation of Islam, they, um, the Nazis, the, the American Nazi Association showed up at their rally, got into the front row, and applauded the black Muslim organization for the work that they did to take criminals like Malcolm X, people who were in criminals their whole lives, and change them into law-abiding, um, respectable members of society, family, fathers. And it was incredible. If you can Google and see pictures of it, there's video of it when the Rockwell gives Malcolm X a $20 cash donation and says, we totally support what you're doing. We're so proud of what you're doing. Yeah, we're not talking and, the artist Norman Rockwell either. He was the head of the American Nazi Party. And they shared a similar society because they felt that there should be separate parts of America. White Landia would exist up in the Northwest. So those white separatists would have Montana. They would have Wyoming, they would have Idaho, the state of Washington, and the state of Oregon. So that's where all the mighty whiteys would go. And then uh, at the time, Malcolm X, who was the spokesperson for Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of Islam, they would have uh, what they call Little Africa, which would be in the southeast corridor. So they would have control of Georgia, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, and not Virginia, but that that area, one other state, I think Arkansas. 
So that would be there. So they shared that same dogma. They didn't want integration. They wanted separation. So ironically, from time to time, they would actually come together and talk about how they could subdivide and separate this country. Uh, also, before I turn it over to Jet Set Juliet, uh, there was Small Business Saturday. And let me tell you something. All the hype was for Black Friday. The big Fortune 500 companies, the franchises, uh, not the mom-and-pop shops. And uh, Saturday was relegated to the mom-and-pop shops. And I got to tell you, so little attention, so little focus, so little encouragement to go to your mom-and-pop shops. Many of them that have dissolved as a result of the lockdown and pandemic. Eighty percent of these small businesses that hire 50 percent. Uh, of the workforce, both nationally and in New York City, uh, are in distress, economic distress. So if there are any more economic shocks to their business, because there are no more stimulus funds for them, no more PPP funds for them, they could totally be out of business. And I would have thought there would have been a much, much grander push to recognize those businesses, unlike what's happening today, Cyber Monday, As you can see, e-commerce grows and grows. Walk into any foyer or lobby, and you could literally be devoured and crushed by the packages that are left by Amazon and all of those others. They make it so easy for you. You can order by day, have it delivered by night, never have to scrape the barnacles off your backside. Walk to your local uh, mom-and-pop shop and shop there. So, look, Do us all a solid. You've got to shop in your neighborhoods. You've got to shop in the mom-and-pop shops because after the lockdown and pandemic of two years and maybe this new strain of South African variant, there may be other measures that are going to limit the access that they have to customers. They're getting crushed by e-commerce. They're getting crushed by the big national chains. So let's not just say small business Saturday and do nothing about it. Let's try to buy as many products as we can 